Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalists. It's Adam Chemelewski here with Matthew Pagel. Matt, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, Chema. How are you, man? Everything's going really good, man. Like I was telling you earlier, getting my uh, second win for the week with this new speaker system that I got. And uh, honestly, I'm pretty fired up to do the podcast because this is the one thing other than working and working out that I've done all week. So yeah. this is really good. <laughs> when we were, good. just quick rewind, when we like really first started pod, like basically hitting a podcast every week in the, during the pandemic because we could, like mm-hmm. this was like this, I was, I would work, I would sit at my computer, work. Or I would go work out in the morning, sit at my computer and work, and then just do this podcast once yep. a week. That's all yep. I fucking did. That's all I had to do. Yeah, that's pretty much all we did. We, we went out to get food every now and then, and it was working, podcast, uh, running laps around my carpeted apartment that was 700 square feet, uh, doing shit like that. And yeah, man, it's crazy how far, uh, how far, but yet how not far mm-hmm. we've come at the same time with this whole thing. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Definitely. Well, yeah, for today's episode, we're going to be kind of um, kind of developing this whole like, I guess, like the real world versus the on screen world type episodes. And this is our inaugural installment. And this is something that uh, hopefully once we get through it, I can kind of maybe figure out how to work it and bring it back with the whole new fresh set of topics and stuff. So we're going to get into that momentarily. But before we do, we're going to be diving into the five good minutes. So, Matt, why don't you uh, kick it off with some five good minutes? It's not even going to be five good minutes. This is probably going to be two, maybe two minutes tops. So, no big deal here. But it's something that has brought me a lot of a lot of joy recently. Um, mm-hmm. So, as you well know, and as people who listen to the show well know at this point, I'm a huge fan of the show The Expanse. I will pretty much sit here, especially after this past season, I'll sit here and tell you that it's the best show on TV right now. Um <clears throat> And and not even and like without and I'm ready to defend that that position like pretty easily too I think, but uh, this season well at the end of at the end of season four, um, we were finally introduced to like sort of the overarching bad guy uh, from the first part of the book series uh, Marco Inaros, played by uh, Keon Alexander. Um, it, I think he's like a I think he's some kind of uh, Middle Eastern uh, background Middle Eastern descent. Um, okay. he's in like he was in Tyrant. Um he's in a lot of movies oh. and, and TV shows that take place in the Middle East, so I'm gonna make an assumption that, that Keon Alexander has a has a back his background is from the Middle East. Um but uh, he's playing uh, this he's playing a terrorist named Marco Anaros in the Expanse, and this past season was like really his first full season kind of embodying the character, like this guy who wreaks a ton of havoc on the Interplanetary Alliance, um, and wreaks a lot of havoc specifically on Earth. But uh, what's really bringing me a lot of joy is that, like the, I follow the the various um, various Instagram feeds of like some of the of the expanse, the show overall. They do a lot of like really cool like fan art Fridays, and they have like a lot of really cool like behind the scenes stuff and like how stuff translated to the book, you know, like videos on how the book translates to uh, scenes from the book translate to scenes on TV. Um, mm-hmm. And I follow a lot of the principal actors on on Instagram too. Like they're they're really they're really fun. They're really into it. Um. Keon Alexander is, he's, I don't, I don't, he is, he is, I guess, doing what you would call method acting trolling. Um, every time the Expanse, the, the main show, um, posts like a new, posts something new on its Instagram, Keon Alexander posts as Marco Inaros threatening everyone in the picture. And he has spent the past like four months since the, or two months, excuse me, no, three months, three months. 
since the show, uh, since the show, um, uh, since the fifth season debuted, he spent the past three months just trolling everyone on the show or related to the show that has an Instagram account. He's been trolling them as Marco Inaros, just giving them threatening lines, quoting stuff that Marco Inaros would say on the show, and like just talking about like a free, just like talking, you know, be leaning into hard into like being like the the quote unquote freedom fighter that he, he thinks he is, and in reality the terrorist that he actually is. Like he's leaning really hard into it. It's, and it's only on Expanse-related posts. Everything else that he does is perfectly normal. But if, like, Dominic Tipper, uh, who plays his, like, ex-wife on the show, if she posts something that's Expanse-related, Marco Inaros pops up to, like, say something threatening to her and real shitty to her, and then that's it. It's fucking fabulous, and I hope he just continues this for the next season as well. Okay, that's absolutely amazing. I love stuff like that. And also, I just started to get into the expanse. So like I burned up all the shows that I had intended on watching. And now I'm doing some of the shows that we talked about here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm three episodes into the expanse. I absolutely love it. And um, I got to tell you something. It's one of those shows for me that I like want to not have my phone out or anything like yes. that while I'm, while I'm watching it or anything. And it's something that number one, because it's really, really fucking good. And after we did that whole civil war episode, um, some of the stuff seems to be a lot easier to follow. <laughs> but uh, um, So like what I have seen so far, the writing is absolutely fantastic. There's in a way, and I, I, I know that this is an example that's going to be thrown a lot around a lot, but when it comes, there's some Game of Thronesy type things that I actually really enjoy, especially when it comes to world building. Mm-hmm. Some lines that the characters say, like in the first um, episode when Tom Jane is in the bar, he says something. He's like, "Why don't you just take that shit back to Medina or something like that?" Mm-hmm. And there's when he says that, there's not only like there's a reference to a location on the show, but there's also like a I guess kind of reference to a certain behavior of people that are from Medina. So you, so it's just very, very layered and really cool ways of building the world and stuff like that. Personally, I've really, really enjoyed it. And whenever I do get to this part in the show, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to keep this stuff in mind. Definitely. You you got a couple years left, a couple seasons left, I should say, before you get to Marco and Aros. Yeah, I'm like I'm taking my time with the expanse. Like I'm, I'm like watching an episode and I'm doing reading and stuff on it and everything. Because like I, I told you before, Banshee is on HBO Max. And mm-hmm. I I've already like since that show is a little bit lighter and stuff. You know, like when it comes to, uh, it's you know, it's not plot heavy. It's not plot and story. <laughs> right, exactly. So like that show, like I dude, I think I'm almost done with season one now. Yeah. I absolutely fucking love it. So and you'll be happy to also know that I picked up on Tacoma FD. Absolutely. I, I it's love great. It, it's great. I yeah. fucking love it. Yeah. Very, very nice, dude. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'm going to keep that in mind whenever I whenever I get to that for sure. So very cool, dude. Very cool way to start it off. And for um, for my five good minutes, um, I'm going to tell you this story about this uh, situation that Jess and I witnessed over um, over the past weekend. It was last Friday. And then I have a question um, because there was something that I told Jess and I just kind of want to see if I'm right or wrong in my um, thought process. Okay, so the story begins. Um, Jess and I went out uh, in Venice on Friday night last week. Okay, we went uh, we went out to a restaurant, then we went for a walk that basically took us to the Venice boardwalk. They closed off the pier, so we're like, "Hey, we're down here. Let's just go take a walk on the boardwalk." So when you walk on the Venice boardwalk, you've seen it in the movies and stuff like that. And like, you know, it's basically like there's a depending on which you're, where you're walking on the street, uh, either to the left or to the right, 
there's a bunch of stores and tattoo shops and mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, an overabundance of touristy type things. And then on the left or right on the other side is the ocean. OK, so it's just buildings, a road and then the ocean. And we're walking along the boardwalk and about 10 feet or so in front of us, a little bit of a scuffle starts to happen. OK, and. I'm going to try to phrase this as best as I possibly can. Cause like, number one, like you're, I've been dying to like tell the story to somebody other than Jess all week. So I'm going to see if I can see if you can follow this and try to make it as easy as possible. Um, there's a scuffle that's happening. Okay. And there's two guys. Let's just say these are guy A and C guy A and C are in a fight. Okay. And guy C walks away, just kind of walks away while this yelling from guy A continues. Guy B is friends with guy A and guy B is trying to like chill his dude the fuck on out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because like this guy's, (laughs) there's a, there's definitely rumblings of something that's about to take place. Okay. So guy A will not stop running his mouth. This gets the attention of guy D, E and F. Okay. Now, Guy D has a nightstick that he just randomly pulls out and, you know, nightstick just starts coming after Guy A. Guy B is still doing everything he can to, like, defuse the situation, okay? But that's just, like, not it's it's not really working out for these guys. Uh, Guy E has an electric, like a... like a stun gun type thing, like a shit. I can't remember the exact terminology for it now, but it's like a, it's some electric zapper type thing. Michelle Pfeiffer uses it in Batman Returns. It's like a handheld zapper device. Mm-hmm. So he's got one of those. And then um, guy, uh, Jesus Christ, guy F or whatever. The last guy, he's just he's just kind of this big ass dude who's going in to join the fight. So you got guy, you have what is now happening. Three guys that are about to go fight these two guys, guy A and B and guy C, the dude that was guy A and was even fighting with originally. He is now getting a giant stick and getting ready to join all these dudes and whomp the fuck out of guys A and B. Okay. And guy C comes back with this big piece of wood. It's like a, like just kind of like a walking stick that they would sell on the beach. Like these, you know, overdone arty walking sticks. And like he's swinging, he gets a couple hits in. I mean, he hits guy A and B. I mean, this is like a full on kind of thing now. And guy C just has this look in his eyes like he's going to fucking kill somebody. I mean, it's like a look you've seen in movies. I'm sure like when you were doing like bouncing stuff at the bar, you know, you see these kind of looks like these people are just like out for blood, you know. And eventually everybody converges together and guy A and B are on the ground, like getting the like the shit kicked out of them by four guys. Okay. Now, this goes on for literally three seconds. These guys hit the ground. You probably get a couple punches in, and then the fight is broken up by, get this, a woman and her um, her boyfriend. It's like a couple and stuff. And this, this woman is walking a 110-pound, easily cane corso, okay? And she and her, her boyfriend or whatever are just like, hey, here's a fight. Let's go check this out. So once the fight actually becomes something and these guys are basically about to get the shit fucking beaten the hell out of them, she lets the cane corso off the leash. The cane corso barks twice and this fight breaks up faster than I've ever seen. Like you're talking like dudes whomping on each other. One second later, you can't see anybody. They got out of there like ridiculously fast. The cane corso then... Takes two steps back to his owner, puts it on the leash, and the the couple just continue walking and like enjoying their night like nothing happened. 
Okay, so that's the the story that that's like the incident that took place. So Jess um, asked me because she saw this whole thing too. She's like, "Well, so like, you know, why did everybody run when this dog, you know, was let go? I mean, these guys had weapons. I mean, they're like literally like four dudes have got weapons here." And I told her, and this is the answer that I, I want to ask you if I'm right or not. It's like I told her that, okay, those guys ran because that dog is going to kill one of those guys. Like the dog was clearly like it was kind of riled up and everything. And I'm like, it's just a lottery. The dog's going to kill somebody. And they just got out of there because who knows who that dog was going to kill. And I just wanted to ask you, am I right in that assessment? Um, no, not exactly. Um it's do you want to fight a dog i gotcha that's okay. why they ran okay do you really want to fight a dog okay. yeah no that's very true i mean like i know joke dude this dog was so massive that like i saw this thing taking fucking souls dude like this was a huge dog going up against these guys and they just all like freaking they just all fled out of nowhere so i would fled to nowhere I mean. uh, there i mean my sister is a 130 pound dog it's a big fucking dummy um like it's probably not capable of killing anybody other than like another dog um but it's just like do you want to go through the trouble of like getting a giant you know fang through the arm or something yeah um yeah like it's it's not worth the trouble and it's definitely not worth hitting someone's dog because then like mm-hmm. you're gonna spark like a whole other thing if you do hit someone's dog like if someone like my sister's like 110 pounds like if someone hit her dog which is bigger than her um, I'm sure she would like she would jump in and fight immediately. It, it's it's just it's like a, it's a it's a no. Are you gonna be the big tough guy that killed a dog? Right, right. It's a no win no, situation for you. Just fucking leave. Yeah, no, I I understand everything you're saying, and like me personally, like that dog would have ended my fucking life. I mean, like even if that dog would have like broken my arm just by latching onto my wrist. I mean, this looks like a huge ass dog and stuff, and like when we were watching this whole, like, I mean, this was like a really, what I just described, like, I know I took a long time to describe it. Like it seemed like it took even longer. It seemed like this whole thing was going on for minutes, everything up until leading to when the guys hit the ground and stuff and the dog uh, gets released. And I was also like kind of surprised that like, wow, we're still fighting in the streets. Like here we are in uh, 2021 after a pandemic and yeah, we're still doing all out street brawls here on the Venice boardwalk. I was I'm going to, I'm like, going to let you in wow. on a clue. They don't really care that there's a pandemic going on. They never did. And they <laughs> yeah. never will. Oh yeah. There were no masks amongst this group yeah. of people that was fighting. <laughs> that, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, it was just, what a really crazy thing to witness on a Friday. And like, I, as soon as this whole thing was happening, I'm like, Jess, you just shut up and get behind me. I do not know what's about to happen. I mean, you're, you're seeing like people converging and there are people like standing on things, trying to get the cool shots for like to throw it on YouTube and stuff. I mean, this was like, <laughs> like this was like an event. <laughs> I tell, this was like, this could have easily been the most action that happened on the boardwalk all day today. Cause like, I, it's not since the virus and everything, I mean, right. like, some of the, the stores are open, but it's not like this rock and happening environment that it, it was pre Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, so that was just my uh, five good minutes. I had to, I had to get that out there, dude. Like I've been, stuff like that rarely happens to me. I guess like where I see something like that, and then to have it ended by this dog and just people scampering and stuff. I just I haven't been able to get it out of my mind all week. I was so. really expecting you to tell me that the dog did just like grab someone by the arm and just like, just like completely subdued someone, and then, like that was that. Kind of yeah, disappointing. Be- yeah, believe me, if this um. If this 
group of people did not scamper away as fast as they did, that would have happened. Like, I mean, we're talking like fragments of a second before this thing really became a fucking bloodbath, you know, like with a dog taking limbs and stuff. Ah, So, all right. So, okay. All wrapped up with the five good minutes. Very, very nice. So we're going to move right along into our opening discussion. So I'm going to start off with this question and it's, um, when you're watching a movie or a TV show, and like for this question specifically, let's just say it's like true crime and, or in science fiction, like just those two genres. When the writers completely ignore uh, scientific or procedural elements of the show, do you find yourself turned off from watching it? Um, no, I really don't, because then we couldn't watch anything. <laughs> right. There are, no. there are like, beyond like, and, and we're, as we're going to like kind of dive into more in this episode... Beyond some of like the really glaringly obvious intention, I call them intentional mistakes that are made mm-hmm. in movies and TV shows. There right. are tons of logic violations mm-hmm. that happen in any TV show in any movie that you don't notice because you're not an expert in that field. So no, that's very so, true. Like I just I always go back to this one that like really stands out to me as being particularly stupid. It's from an episode of NCIS. Uh, mm-hmm. The original NCIS, not one of the 38 spinoffs uh, that they have now. Um, and it's like the the NCIS headquarters, the HQ in, in there in, uh, in D.C. is being, quote unquote, hacked um, by someone. And Gibbs unplugs a computer, unplugs the terminal that they're um, that they're being hacked at. And mm-hmm. it's something that they do in TV shows all the time and movies all the time. That doesn't work. Because right. they're not attacking that computer, they're attacking a, a server. And that right. server isn't anywhere to be found. It's fucking probably not even in D.C. It's somewhere else in the state of Virginia. Um, it's, But, like, what kind of show would it be if we showed them if we showed them calling the server farm and had them someone manually try to disconnect a server out of, like, the 10,000 that are sitting in a room? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So we just go with the easy thing. That for especially for like the the general audience of a show like NCIS, people over fifty, um, they're not gonna fucking know that anyway. So that scene flies because it just like it visually makes it visually makes enough sense that that's what Gibbs is trying to stop, right? Right. Yes. No. That you're is, definitely. TV shows and movies are filled with this kind of stuff. Oh yes, of course. You make a great point about there with this computer and the server thing. It is way, way less dramatic if they make a call and some guy, even if they shoot it somehow dramatically where the server guy is freaking out and he can't find the server. It's still like too much. Like the drama doesn't hold if they have to go through all those extra steps. So you just kind of like cut right along into the um, into the, the, the fat of everything. Just get right to the heart of it. And this way. Not only are you like, I mean, even if you could do it right, it's all a matter of just like timing and how to hold a scene and stuff. And it is right. just a easier move to do a simple unplug and everything like that, which you're definitely right on, dude. Yeah. And like, I will tell you that, like, for the most part, I'm not really turned off from from like I may notice something. You know what I'm saying? Especially because uh since we've obviously been doing the podcast and everything, I've just become a little bit more educated on things, which I do thank you very much for. And like, so I guess like, I think one time I was watching like a science, like a something that was science fiction. And they actually like went out of their, went out of their way 
to like, hey, by the way, we got to turn on the anti-gravity thing. So that way you could walk yeah. around the space station. And they actually like, I mean, we're talking like that was actually, I mean, it wasn't that word for word, but it was something like that. They, they actually went out and said, and like, I really, I really did appreciate it. I mean, it didn't like, you know, tarnish like people walking or floating in a, in a spaceship, you know, for the rest of my life or whatever. But I did really like appreciate that, appreciate that they went and took that, you know, extra, extra time to do so. And I guess like, Another way that I look at this, too, would maybe come from, like, what kind of, like, network it's on, I guess. I'm, I'm a little more lenient of NBC programming in comparison to, like, something that's on HBO, for example. Like, and not that I can't even really think of any examples of HBO doing this, which is why it's HBO, which is why it's not TV, it's HBO. And I just, like, HBO shows, like they're not going to screw up big time, like procedural things, you know, like they're not going to miss things that if they are, if it's in the process, like if it's somehow in the, the process of like a trial or a criminal investigation, like, and it's something that is like that audiences have heard of. I think that HBO is going to be good enough to somehow make it as realistic as possible. NBC and all that, I think while they try to make it as realistic as possible, or even if, if that is what they're even going for, but a lot of realism is lost in mm -hmm. like, networks. Mm -hmm. A lot of, is what I'm saying here and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's lost like basically everywhere else. But um, as someone who's brand loyal to, like I'm just like a brand loyalty guy in general, but for me being as brand loyal as HBO, it's like, it's, it seems like that's something I really don't have to worry about when I watch HBO programming. Right, right. No, I, I, I there's actually a really, you, just as a quick example, um, you, I, I, you saw The Outsider, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. There is, there's a whole scene, or a whole, like there's a whole episode where, um, where Ben Mendelsohn's character, I can't remember his name now, Ben, Glenn, in, Gil? I might. I am drawing a total blank Doesn't on matter. that, but I. Ben, yeah. ben Mendelsohn's character is protect is protecting someone that's being accused of being the killer in the show, and like mm -hmm. they make a whole thing out of like their trip to uh, uh, where where was it Tennessee, they make a whole thing out of their trip to Tennessee that like it's very by the book that they they're going there under the guise of investigation, uh, under interviewing, so they're not like rousing any suspicion. I mean, there's more to it. Than that, mm -hmm. I, I'm trying not. To, I'm trying not to spoil the show for anyone that hasn't seen it. Um, <laughs> but there's other reasons why they're trying to fly under the radar. But they make a whole point that like these cops were on an investigation with this person. So the person that the that the other cops that they eventually run into, it's kind of like we've set up the alibi and we've set up a, you know the proper procedures that police would go through when interrogating or investigating suspects in different jurisdictions. Whereas in an NBC show would not have done any of that. It would have just been guns blazing into the situation, shooting and killing people. Right, right. That's exactly right. And, like, I was hoping to not say what I'm about to say so early in the podcast, but it's, like, it's kind of like one of the things, like, with The Wire and stuff. Like, The Wire being such a, like, you know, internal, like, you know, Baltimore cops and the workings of the city being like as realistic as possible and stuff like that. It's like, that's why the wire is on HBO and it's not on or wasn't on any other channels mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I, I really do like, 
I, I guess I'm just like more appreciative of that because I, I guess it just opens up our eyes to maybe some of the more realistic elements of crime investigations and everything. And who knows if I ever do like listen to one of those um, podcasts or see one of those shows where, uh, you know, two suburban white women just put down their pyramid scheme and solve a murder. Like this kind of stuff will help me like follow, uh-huh. follow that <laughs> stuff a, a little bit better, you know? So that's what it is, man. Pyramid schemes are solving murders. That's for sure. One of the two. So. You, can't, you can't do both at the same time though. No, that's impossible. So like, who could do that at the same time? Come on. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, which, um, which genres of movies and television benefit from being as least realistic as possible? I, I think there are three that really stand out and it, it's fantasy action mm-hmm. and comedy, right? Yep. Like in terms of an action, in terms of action, since you're watching Banshee right now, I want mm-hmm. people to beat the beat each other senseless. To be in yes. horrific car crashes, to to you know to fire a hundred bullets at a time, you know from two different guns, you know jump off of buildings and shit, and then like be okay. And otherwise, right. otherwise it's a very otherwise you know an action. If action movies really sort of unfolded like in, like they would in real life, there'd just be a lot of dead people in a few in a few moments. Like oh, easily people would be dead. And, and you know, same with like when you get to like fantasy stuff, like. It's sort of like inherently baked in that like we can just cast a spell or take a potion or wish or we can summon spirits or dragons, whatever it might be. Like it's inherently Mm -hmm. it's inherently hyper real or surreal. And like in comedy, like what I mean by like um, not being realistic, I want the situation to be as bizarre as possible. So like in just for some reason, the the movie with um the Robert Downey Jr. Zach Galifianakis movie. Oh my god, due date. Due date, thank you. Like yep. make that make the situations as bizarre as it's an okay movie, but it's got some really funny moments. Like where mm-hmm. they're where they're they're drinking Zach Galifianakis' dad, um, after he's you know, after he was cremated, where like they're masturbating he's masturbating in the car. Like, give me like a really absurd setup that's obviously not realistic, and it, and the comedy flows from there. Yes, definitely. And comedy like was number one on my list. Mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of, I'm going to kind of uh, go along with everything or add on to some of the things that um, you just said and everything. Comedy definitely benefits from a lack of realism. That is 100% for sure. And like, I want these situations in comedy to be crafted so they serve the the tone of the film the best and everything. Mm-hmm. So let's 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 take the uh, the other guys for example, right? You know, other guys, not too bad. It's got a couple of, like, funny one-liners that I still use to mm-hmm. this day and everything like that. But uh, I, I enjoyed um, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg together. And, like, when you see this movie and stuff like that that's set in, like, a police station, right from the get-go, and, I mean, the movie is, like, kind of sort of self-aware with, like, The Rock and Samuel L. Jackson yeah. being these, like, two, like, action-y cops and yes. everything that you get in the beginning. And there's enough of the bizarre extreme stuff and there's enough anchoring in like a real world situation to where it comes together in a nice state of harmony and everything. And this happens a lot in, in movies. Like what I'm talking about here is nothing, nothing new, but the good thing is, is that they take some of the unrealistic elements and they use them to the best possible way that they can to kind of milk 
humor organically or pump humor organically out of the situation and stuff like that, you know, which, um, which I, I think is really good using that level of using non-realism in that way is, is absolutely um, fantastic for sure. So when it comes to like the action movies, like number one, like I'm very happy that you uh, number also referenced or recommended Banshee. And then number two, kind of explained it like to me a long time ago it's just like it's like straight up action and stuff mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and this right here it is just like every single thing that i want an action show to be because number one like i i can't think of any other like action shows really like i mean they're, they're still action movies and action does happen in shows but I have yet to actually see like what is basically like one really, really long action movie chopped up into 50 minute long episodes and stuff. So the lack of realism there, Banshee like takes it on to like the full extreme. And I mean, you're getting like, I mean, even you're right. The fights and stuff, the episode I just watched had um, Anna and Melko, I think his name was like beating the shit out of each other for like, easily two-thirds of the episode uh, it's, it's the like, one where they're they're running through the city fighting uh anna is fighting melko in a house it's um she goes to um lucas's house um, oh okay okay up, sorry um, different i'm actually i'm yeah. actually thinking of, of an episode that there's an episode in a couple seasons that it's literally anna fighting a guy throughout the entire episode in various locations of banshee Oh, very nice. Oh, that's very nice. Okay. Yeah. Can't, can't wait to get to that one. And like the one, the one that I just watched though, like, I mean, there was just, I'm looking at these people and I'm like, there's just no fucking way that in reality, anybody is going to last this long in the fight, right. especially all they throwing each other into shit and breaking shit over each other's head and stuff like that. And also like, if this show really did adhere to some of the realities of police work and oh. some of the other, <laughs> right. we wouldn't really have like a show, nope. you know? And like, and th- that is like one of the like really awesome things about it. And like one of these things that I, I was unexpected, but I absolutely love about Tony Stark's character is just, it's, it is like a completely it's a complete 180 from Homelander is, is what I'm trying to say here. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. these two are just it's two completely different things. And like this character, um, Lucas Hood, I can't remember his his real like prisoner name or whatever. He does I not have John. one. Oh, OK. OK, that's good. So that wasn't me just being high. OK, so um, the uh, this character of Lucas, Hood is like really like kind of muted. And he's just I mean, he's still like an active, proactive character. But he's not as like showy as like Homelander is and stuff at times. Like I, I feel like Homelander has just got like this big personality, while mm-hmm. Lucas Hood is more of like a big presence and like kind of like a smaller personality. And it's just it, it's 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 fucking awesome. Like I just long story short is it is absolutely fucking awesome. And like we suspend a lot of disbelief in this show, and I absolutely love it. Like yeah. I'm almost just waiting for him to, yeah, I'm just gonna let this guy off so I can go kill him later. You know, like that's what you want to like have happen mm-hmm. in the show. You don't want him to like follow the law and everything like that. And what was your um? So it was uh, action comedy. What was the other one? Fantasy. Fantasy. Yeah, that one. Fantasy. Like, it, it's baked. It is baked right into what what it is that you can yeah, violate, that, you know, rules of logic and stuff. That's exactly right. And even even something like is Game of Thrones, which is like as historically fictionally like there's definitely a lot of like real like life elements in Game of Thrones. But 
those like that's just like part of the pie you know what i'm saying like while yes i showed up for character development and like really cool awesome lines and stuff but part of me also just wants to see dragons burn shit and people get cut open with swords and stuff you know what i'm saying so Mm. um yeah dude so those three right there could not uh, could not agree with you more on i like i had uh, comedy and stuff like that as my my number one and everything so i'm going to move right into the next question which is uh which is basically the inverse of that. And it's like, which genres of movies and television benefit from being as realistic as possible? And, and, and I'm glad you, you mentioned The Wire previously because crime dramas are like my number one that, mm-hmm. especially when it is something that would be like a, a crime, a, a prestige crime drama. You, mm-hmm. you, you need that to be like as real as possible, be it The Wire, even, even as like sort of the heights that Breaking Bad reached in terms of like the storytelling, it was still grounded in some kind of reality. Um, so like when a, when a crime drama, you know, when it gets too, it, it, like it would be very, very strange if something like in the middle of something like Ozark, if someone had made a literal deal with the devil, right? Like if there was like a supernatural element to the story, you would be mm-hmm. like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Like this doesn't make you this doesn't make sense for the rest of the story whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. So like, even though Ozark gets, you know, it, it gets to the extreme of like that, that, this type of like prestige crime drama, it's still based in reality. There's still a lot of, it's still adhering to the rules of law um, in terms of like literal rules of law and like how, and how like drug dealing, etc., works. Like it's, it's still there in reality. And I think, and then, uh, sort of like the second, the second one I would have here would, <clears throat> excuse me, would be hard sci-fi, where you are taking a concept. And I've discussed, we've discussed this before. Hard sci-fi is where like the the sci-fi element is sort of what is spawning the rest of the story. So like in something like The Expanse, it is about it is about interplanetary colonization. That's the core of everything else. And if that got really strange, like if suddenly they had warp drives. And, like, they could be, you know, Earth to Mars in the course of a minute. That would be really strange. Like, mm-hmm. that's a big point of the storytelling is that Earth and Mars are so separated um, by space, time, everything else, that they've become two different places. That they're no longer, that humanity is no longer a united front. It's two different two different pieces of humanity on two different planets. And the space between them is literally what's keeping them apart. Right, of course. Dude, hard sci-fi is another really, really good example. And like going off the expanse and just in my like little like knowledge that I have of the show, you're right. The show at its core is about interplanetary colonization. There's definitely a science fiction element to the show. But when you get farther away from Earth, the more and more like I guess realistic I believe this like what I'm saying here is that when this happens, and I b- believe everything that, you know, we're going to colonize, we're going to have that civil war that we talked about. Whenever this does happen, I see life on the belt being a split image of what they have on the show mm-hmm. and everything. And there's even like, I mean, just even the way things are in appearance and everything with the um, the way people live and like those kind of um, almost like stacked up housing, kind of like apartments with like the, yeah. the courtyard in the center and like the fake sky and all that stuff. And because I believe in, as I, as we've talked about on the show, just the expanse, just being this great piece of, uh, piece of entertainment, 
that those are the kind of things that like these people, like the show is not going to be that great without incorporating some kind of realistic elements to it. Mm-hmm. Something that people can look at and be like, wow, those guys really did their homework. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's not like you know, the warp drive example is a really good one because like, even if they have some kind of like, you know, supercharged, you know, way of transportation that's beyond like rocketry and all that stuff as we know it today, like, it's not like super, super crazy advanced where they're flying from earth to Mars in five minutes. You know what I'm saying? Right. There's like a, there's like a grounded level of evolution and technology, I guess, to where the, you could see. Yeah. Oh, they sorry. have, they have um, like that. There's actually like a little, there's a cold open to one episode in the first season. Um, that's like part of like, I guess it's like, uh, I guess it's like a part of a novella that's mm-hmm. that, uh, that James S.A. Corey wrote. Um, which is actually yeah. James S. A. Corey are actually two people, um, uh, Ty Frank and I can't remember the other guy's name, but um, but it's it's two two guys write the books, and there's actually like a novella about um, I can't remember the guy's the guy's full name, but his last name's Epstein, and he accidentally creates by tinkering around creates what's what they all use now. It's called the Epstein drive, and the Epstein mm-hmm. drive basically is like this hyper fuel efficient drive that can like continuously power whereas before like you couldn't do that on old rockets like you couldn't just continuously run power through them because they fucking explode um so like that's like that's sort of like a liberty that they take but that liberty is still grounded in reality that like if we could have engines that drove much more continuously and better and with better efficiency then we could go farther and farther into space Right. I gotcha. Definitely. I totally understand for sure. And one of the, um, one of the things I, I wanted to mention, um, particularly with the expanse in this rea- realistic element, I think the way that they did New York in the future, if you were to tell me that's what New York is going to look like in a couple of years, could not, you wouldn't even have to sell me it long on it, dude. Like right. there's having the, the one world trade center, like still being in the, the center of the city, like just as we know it today with all the other kind of buildings around it and stuff, like it just, there's something about like, when you see a show that is very like intelligent and all that stuff, you just, I could buy into basically everything. There could be some of the stuff on here that maybe like, you know, stuff that um, they had, we don't even know how to create yet, but if the expanse told me that in 200, 300, 400 years, whatever, we're going to have this stuff. I'd be like, sure. Yeah. You guys seem mm-hmm. to get everything else. Right. Why the hell wouldn't you get this right too? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, hard sci-fi is a really great example. And I'll kind of piggyback off of what you were saying with crime dramas and kind of add on to it with um, number one, by saying that breaking bad was, I thought it's just such a realistic yet fictional anecdote about Walter White and this kind of world of meth dealing and crime underworld stuff and everything. Like if I see somebody living that exact same life, like, and that's one of the things that I thought was so it wasn't just, Hey, the dad from Malcolm in the middle cooking meth. When I was watching the, the, the pilot and I I didn't watch it when it was on TV, I kind of caught up later on, but the, the pilot um, after all of the really great television that I've seen and all the loyalty that I have to other TV shows, when I watched breaking bad, all of like, this is like five, six years ago, I will confidently say that the pilot of breaking bad is one of the best episodes of television, like of all time. Mm-hmm. Like that is just the way you get into a show and the way that they 
build the characters throughout that episode and you get a look at what Walt's life is like, like, I'm like, yeah, like this right here, I see happening in any town in America and stuff like that. It's just such a realistic presentation of a problem, a realistic um, portrait of like a struggling American family. There's so many different things that are so realistic and so identifiable to us as humans that you cannot help but get in on that. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like I, I, I'm sure that there are people out there and God, I hope I hopefully it won't ever have to meet you. But if there are people out there that don't get hooked into breaking, that can't get hooked into breaking bad because of that pilot, I feel bad for you because that is just, man, you must like hate television or hate the world mm-hmm. or your life or some something like that for sure. Mm-hmm. But so to continue everything on where I was going to go in, and this is my answer is like, and this is crime, but it's like a, a very, you know, in like a subcategory of crime stories. And this is like these gangster movies this is where realism really fucking works and it works for so many different reasons because gangster movies in general, the stories are so goddamn awesome that they just write themselves, you know, like even if Goodfellas and I'm sure Goodfellas and the writers took some, uh, some liberties with some of the events in the story, but there's probably enough cool actual stuff that happened that that's just a movie in and out of itself. You know, there's so many different, I guess interesting and attention grabbing things in the world of organized crime that like you almost don't even need to have fictional stuff. Like, I don't even know what the hell is the point of writing a fictional gangster movie. Like, why would anybody do that? Just go rip into the pages of the umpteen million gangsters and Mm -hmm. gangster stories and all that stuff. Like there's really no reason for anybody to ever write a fictional mob movie. And these things come with, um, they come, like I said, they come with all the different like elements of story. They come with very interesting, interesting elements of stories, and then they they come with violence. Usually, there's some kind of like uh, us versus them, like you know, state like people hunting them down and everything. So there's just it's basically like a giant Russian doll of available information. That um, why would you ever need to stray away from what actually happened? And I, I think that gangster movies are by far one of the, the biggest beneficiaries of keeping realism in, in film and inter- or film and television. Yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, I, I, yeah, I, I think when you, certain dramas can get away with being like over the top um, and, and being, you know, it's, you know, jettisoning, jettisoning realism for, for, you know, a better story uh, for a better scene. But like I think you're right when it like just to just to put the I'll, I'll just put it in the overarching realm of crime that like crime is better when it's real like it's just it's just much more visceral when like this could really happen if, right. if that if that makes sense like it, it just hits you in a way that that you think of like and especially when you think about the gangster dramas um, you know when they're when they're based off real stories it's like holy shit this actually happened like. So even if they're taking liberties with like someone's death or someone's assassination or something, it still happened, and it's still right. and because they're basing it in reality and they're not doing too much with it, it's still much more visceral than it would be if they really went for something like way over the top. Right, dude, that's exactly right. Like, dude, t- take Boardwalk Empire for example. Like now, Boardwalk, there's a lot of like you know fictional stuff that's written in there, but there's also a lot of really awesome and interesting historical stuff, like with Alan Rothstein and the the Black Sox scandal and all mm-hmm. that that they were diving into in the first couple of seasons. Like, it's just really cool to like see these perspectives on some of these events that 
um, from American history that like we, I would have probably never, ever saw anything, but it might've been just a history channel documentary about the black Sox scandal that I might've seen it. And that was the only thing I would have ever got any insight into, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know that Arnold, Arnold Rothstein is not Arnold Rothstein um, has probably been in other movies, but the boardwalk empire portrayal, I, you know, it's just fucking awesome, dude. You you can't go wrong with Mm -hmm. um, Michael something. Michael uh, Stuhlbarg. Stuhlbarg. The guy's the fucking man. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, dude, like, um, that's why, like, I, I had to, like, I had to get that, ask this question and stuff like that. I wanted to throw out my, uh, throw out my little spiel on, uh, gangster movies and everything like that. Oh, so, for sure. Definitely, dude. So let's, uh, let's move on into the main discussion here. So this, um, main discussion, it's going to be broken up into, like, five different categories. And, uh, each one of the categories as a topic from it and then we're going to answer a couple of questions about the the topic and everything like that from the category and the five categories go as follows so these are just the general um titles of them it's personal elements of life which is stuff like love friendship struggle then we have science which will focus on different science and technologies used in film and television sports various on and off the field elements of sports entertainment which will be focusing on various just some stuff from the film and the television industry and the wild card which could literally be any topic and what we're going to be kind of doing is discussing you know maybe some differences between what movies what movies present and what happens in real life and uh yeah i'm really interested to get going with this so let's lead it off here and i'm going to start off with um the personal elements of life and this subcategory i have is called the formation of friendships and the question that leads off of this subcategory or topic is um what two characters that became friends in a film or television show but in your opinion would never have become friends in real life i i want to hear your answer to this first okay no problem, dude. So this one, I um, I was reminded of this recently, and um, I liked this show. Uh, it's called Crashing on HBO. And the two characters that I have on this are Pete Holmes and this guy, Leif. Okay, and Leif is this, like, he's basically a dude that Pete Holmes catches banging his wife. Mm-hmm. And eventually, these two become friends. And I cannot stand certain things in movies and this one i believe to be extremely unrealistic because number one like at least me personally i don't think i'd ever be friends with anybody i ever walked in on banging my wife and stuff and the other thing is is that like they really just give like you know like hey pete's mad about it and then all of a sudden like he's not mad about it and from my own like you know just to throw another like personal perspective on this whole thing is that it is not that easy to like make friends believe me i've been in california now for going on like three years i do have i do have a couple of friends it is not like it is the easiest thing and i guess one thing that i would add on to like my whole just like point and everything that i'm making here is that like hollywood just they, they make it way they make it look way too easy to make friends and with this example from crashing, I am just like, I'm just kind of like, no, like it, it doesn't happen like that, that. This is just like a completely unrealistic thing. Now, I will give HBO a little bit of credit. They seem to do everything humanly possible to kind of sell this. You know, they make Pete Holmes like kind of he's a little ruby and stuff. And the guy who's banging his wife is like basically this 
adorable, like, you know, hippie guy who's just like, yeah, man, life is great. Like, why are you mad? Just go smoke a joint or whatever. They do do as much as they possibly can. But for me, I am not sold. And I think it's completely unrealistic. And um, I think it's one of a few of the show's major, major flaws. I get what you're saying, but this is the thing that I think this is the part of the outline that you need to bake in the oven quite a bit longer. Okay. Because this is just something that you don't like. It's is okay. it unrealistic? Possibly. But can you say for certain that this has never happened before? I cannot say that for certain, no. So then it's just something you don't like. I gotcha. Okay, I gotcha. I, I mean, okay. Like, like, I guess, but I mean, we know, I know... I know of people who have been cheated on and cheated on other people that are friends with each other. That's like, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility Would the whole, with the way it goes down with those two happen that way. Probably not. But I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess like it's, it's just an impossibility to say that this is unrealistic. Um, I, I mean, such as say that is it unrealistic, but like impossible or is it impossible? And like, you're kind of asking a different question then at that point. Okay. I gotcha. Because okay. like, I can't, no, I... I can't debate that it's all I can say. All I can tell you is that, that it, it is possible. So it's just something that you don't like. And that's a different question than everything else that we're going to get into. Okay. No, I definitely understand where you're coming from. It is definitely something that I don't like. I, I view it as unrealistic. Me personally, I don't, I don't have like the experience to, tell myself otherwise so like that that's one of the things that even leads me more to saying that it is it's just something unrealistic it's something that i couldn't stand did not like it about the show and we'll keep that in mind for phrasings of questions next time around for sure well it's i mean it's it just doesn't fit with the rest of this with the rest of the outline like I gotcha. we're, we're gonna get into some stuff that is like le legitimately incorrect um that's just like i didn't like the way that and I, honestly i didn't like the way they did it either in fact i really I found that I found it very contrived because I actually have crashing here later as an example. Um, but like, I found it very contrived how like they put, of course they're going to put Pete and leaf together. Like, of course they are. I could see that coming from a mile away, but it just was so contrived. Um, yeah. Him needing to be dependent upon, upon leaf for, you know, for, well, I guess dependent upon each other um, after uh, uh, Lauren Lapkus's care. What was her name? Oh God, I cannot remember. And it Lord, sucks I, I think she's great. But Laura yeah. is a star. I like like her a lot. But um, yeah, like after she, I mean, she burns them both, and that's like sort of like what the the idea behind their friendship is, is that like maybe they're not best friends, but they both have the same experience in common, mm -hmm. and that's why they they're kind of like clutching onto each other uh, for at least a little while. But it, it does feel very contrived. I hundred percent agree with you there. But like, there's nothing to say that that wouldn't actually happen. Okay, I I totally got what you're saying here for for sure, dude. Yeah, and like I got to think, contrived is is very good. It's like it's almost like they just had this character in the beginning, and we have to do something with him later on. So hey, let's make them let's make them friends, and it's right. one of the few few issues that I had with Crashing, and like it's weird because Crashing is one of these shows, and I, I'm interested to hear what would you have to say about it later on. It's one of these things that like. The things I don't like about it, I fucking hate with mm -hmm. this show. Yes. You know, it's not yes. like I could just shake them off. 
I absolutely hate it. And like, there's, there's just like some other things too. I mean, I guess I maybe could even pick a better example where it's just like, Hey, there's this guy, Pete, and he's in New York. And then all of a sudden what seems to be like, like two days later or something. I know that he'd been coming up there and they built it up in the first episode, but it's like, Oh, now all of a sudden he's really good friends with Sarah Silverman. And he's like, he's all these comedians living with Artie now. That (laughs) is something that, that you should have like, that is something that I would go for. Like, the way and and probably that fits into the later because that's where kind of where I'm going with it without spoiling a little bit too much when we talk about the entertainment part. Um, that's like one of those things that like in Hollywood in movies TV shows like you just like oh my god I just ran into Artie you know I just ran into Sarah Silverman and it's like no you didn't <laughs> like yeah. no you fucking did like <laughs> I, like I realize that she is one of your friends in real life Pete Holmes and Judd Apatow creator you know one of the creators of the show. I get that, but, like, the way it fucking happens, and then Sarah Silverman's just like, hey, you can be my best friend now. Nope. <laughs> that is incorrect. Could Is there a possibility of that? Maybe. But, no, there isn't. Okay, let's stop here. We'll revisit We'll revisit it, um, what you have to, because I'll be talking more about that, so let's, let's put okay. a pause on that, dude. I like where you're going with it, and we'll resume it here later. But let's move on to the next question, which is definitely a little bit lighter and one I'm kind of interested to hear your uh, thoughts on. And this is from Science. And this is a Star Trek thing. I threw in a couple like just little lighter questions, I guess, throughout uh, the rest Mm -hmm. of this outline. And if you could make one of the what is below in the outline. So one one of the following Star Trek technologies actually available in the real world out of warp drive, firing a driving warp drive, going through space and warp drive. Firing a phaser, travel via beaming. Which one would it be, and why? So I think I think travel via beaming, um, and I say that because then you could like, um, as it, as it's presented in the in Picard, um, and actually in uh, Star Trek in the last most recent season of Star Trek Discovery, you kind of don't even need a ship if you can beam places. Like they've they've gotten the they've gotten like the transporter technology down in Picard that you can just like it's essentially like a doorway you walk through and like hey you're in San Francisco now you're in London now you're in wherever else um, you would almost kind of not need a warp drive I suppose because they even do it like interplanetary um, but also because sort of something that would they've never really addressed in. I take that back. They they kind of address it in in Star Trek canon uh, through these things called inertial dampeners. Um, it's just like a made up thing because if you or I were to be on a on a ship that suddenly accelerated to ten ten times the speed of light, we would our atoms would just fly apart. Like <laughs> we would turn into absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so like we would need something. Even though like we when we did our when we did our time travel episode, the mathematics is there for like a warp drive type of thing to exist from uh, Miguel Acubier. Like, the math makes sense, but, like, how anyone would survive it, not really sure yet. Um, okay. Firing a phaser gun seems kind of interesting, but it just kind of seems like a laser. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it just... That, oh, yeah. that would seem to be the most underwhelming thing, but if, if we could figure out how to just, like, travel, beam each other from place to place... Dude, I'd go visit people all every weekend. I would never be at home. I'd be all over the place every weekend. Dude... Travel via beaming, that is like the one thing that really got me into Star Trek. 
Like I, when I first saw like the original episodes on TV, God knows how long ago, that was like the thing that was the big selling point. I was like, man, this is something like I've always wanted to do travel via beaming. Mm -hmm. I think that that is like one of the greatest entertainment inventions ever. As far as uh, transportation goes, I would never need a cool ship. I love the, as long as it doesn't, turn my head backwards, like in space balls or whatever. Like I am completely on board with it. And you know, something like firing a phaser gun or like a laser gun, you and I are going to do that at some point in time before we die. Uh, yeah. There's going to like, like it's some, it's just going to happen. Like with the way that technology is. And I mean, I wouldn't be surprised after this whole pandemic thing, there's a whole new line of home defense for lasers and stuff. I would not be surprised at that. Do you think, so we're, do you we're, think we'll be able to fire the Jewish space lasers? I hopefully those are the only ones I actually want to fire. So like, I don't want to fire any um, Gentile lasers. Like, well, they, I want to. Yeah, I was going to ask though, will they let us Goyim uh, fire them though? Or is that for the chosen people only? I think we have to marry into that. Oh, okay. gotcha. <laughs> so, so I'm screwed. You might have, um, you might have a, a chance. All right. I'll have, to, I'll have to find a nice, uh, a nice Jewish girl then. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, like dude, we're, at some point in time, it's just, it, it's going to happen. Like when we're older and stuff like that, like even if, uh, what is it? Stonewall gun range in Brexville, mm. all of a sudden it's like, Hey, we got lasers now. I think before I kick the bucket, I would go down there and pop off like a couple rounds that I, I don't know, a paper target, a all carpet target. I don't know what the hell they'd be made out of. But, um, and the whole thing with warp drive, like it's cool. It's just not as cool as beaming. <laughs> That's mm. I'm just going to put it simple. I mean, that. you're still, awesome. dri- you're just still tra- you're just driving. I mean, you're still traveling. Right. Yeah, I mean, I personally would be more worried about ricocheting off at an asteroid, especially if I'm the one who's commanding the, the ship or whatever. But I just beaming is way cooler. It's just way cooler than warp drive. I, like since you actually since you brought that up, that's actually something that that quickly we could talk about. So it's something that they always present in movies that like you you go through, you're flying through like asteroid debris, like the asteroid belt. It's fucking cluttered. It mm-hmm. is not. It is not at all. You right. would be you would have to intentionally drive into one to hit one. Um, yeah. and, and, and someone did a calculation. Like if you were to stretch, if you were to, str- if you were to like basically continuously travel back and forth throughout the solar system to essentially to Pluto and Charon and back, and you had no control. Well, besides the control to avoid like getting pulled into like planetary gravity. If you were just to travel in a straight line, you might hit something in a trillion years. Other than like, other than like tiny, you know, dust and stuff like that, um, yeah, you literally could travel for a trillion years and not hit anything, dude. I believe it. Like from, and I think I, that does sort of ring a bell to me. And I'm not super familiar with that particular thing, but it is kind of ringing some bells. And you're 100 percent right. Where the asteroid belt. It is so spread out. It's not like it's not how they make it in Star Wars, you know, and I did take the time or take the time to appreciate that Han Solo, at least while he was looking at the meter, said, hey, I got to take a couple seconds here. We don't want to hit an asteroid or anything. (laughs) But when they get in, but, but when they eventually get into an asteroid field, it is one of those things where it's like, hey, there's there's rocks coming every single direction and stuff. It almost looks like the um like our third grade science book illustration of the solar system where it's like, Hey Mars, then there's some floating rocks, a bunch of them. And then you got Jupiter, Saturn mm-hmm. and so forth. So no, that, that thing I did know about where like the asteroid fields are just like, it's so like far apart and everything like that. Like, and even, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say that like, um, even if you don't have the, um, 
like warp drive on and you're just kind of taking a casual stroll in the Millennium Falcon, you really don't have to do this like basic maneuver kind of thing that Han Solo was doing to get out of that. Right, right, exactly. There's, I mean, if we were to really like take on, we could do an entire episode on space stuff and how, and how like even, even the Expanse has to take, has to take liberties with the realism that they're going for. Otherwise, like there are things that just couldn't happen that happened on the show. Right. Right. Yeah, dude, definitely. Like, and that those kinds of things, like when it comes to astrophysics and stuff, that is one of the things where I think a lot of writers have a lot more Liberty because there's people, that's just not something people know. Like right. when it comes to, when it comes to crime dramas, like there's a certain, like, at least like for people who are, who are adults and maybe somebody who at the way least has got a speeding ticket. I think there's some like general or at least, perceived general understanding of the process that gives people like a, like almost like a little bit of knowledge and it's all combined with like movies and shows and stuff like that they've watched in the so it's basically like a a real world slash tv show soup you know that mm-hmm. um i think it gives people a little bit more of an understanding and knowledge base to approach a crime drama so while they do take a lot of liberties i think sometimes um, those liberties might be a little bit more easy to spot than something that is science fiction. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Absolutely. That's, that's very well put. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. And so this next question, I actually don't know this. Um, is there some type of real world equivalent of the Vulcan neck pinch? Like, is there some kind of way to disarm people being nerves and pressure points? Yeah. You so just block the carotid that, artery for a so few that, seconds that, and you can get someone to pass out. That actually exists. So, like, that's rooted in some kind of truth. The carotid artery? Yeah, it's in your neck. Runs all the way to your brain. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, the artery. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the, the, the fact that the Vulcan neck pinch is actually rooted in something. True. Well, I, I, yeah. maybe. I mean, I don't, know if, I don't know if that's what they're thinking about. But, I mean, if you just apply pressure to the carotid artery for a few seconds, you'll, you can get someone to black out pretty quickly. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, I, I did not know that. Um, and... I recently, uh, like with the last like six, eight months or something, I watched Kill Bill 2 and they do the five finger pressure point thing with the yeah, heart doesn't make stuff. Sense. <laughs> that Yeah, right, right. And so like I um, was like the bulk because I was doing Star Trek and everything. I was like wondering, is there like some type of like actual real world equivalent to these kinds of these kinds of tech fighting techniques or whatever that I was just unaware of? Yeah, I mean, you would need to like you can't just like with your fingers press on someone's carotid artery. But I mean, if you you take your forearm and press it against it pretty firmly for ten to fifteen seconds, you can get someone to basically black out. Um, and same with you know, like same with the meningeal artery. It's the artery that runs underneath your temple. High impact pressure on that, lights out. Good night. No. Sh- okay, so that's like when you see people like on shows that are like putting somebody to sleep. Is that what they're doing? Like the whole like go to sleep thing? Th- yeah, that's the carotid. Um, or it's it, well, probably more likely it's. They're choking someone until they pass out. Um, okay. But the, like the idea of blocking the carotid, carotid artery or or even your jugular, but usually both, um, is is you're just putting you're not putting pressure on the on the throat. You're putting it on the the artery itself. And okay. the the meningeal artery is under your temple. It's when that's when like in boxing you see people just fucking collapse. They're getting mm-hmm. hit directly in their meningeal artery. Okay. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I've seen, like, God, between Instagram, I've seen so many fucking boxing knockout videos in the last, like, little bit of time, dude. Okay, I understand what you're saying. Gotcha, for sure. 
All right. Good to know. I was like, that was something I was wondering about. And um, thank you for shining a little light on that. There you go. So, yeah. So let's move um, into the next category, which is sports and specifically the action on the field of a game of football. Like name a film or TV show that fails to accurately capture the on the field elements of a football game. If we're being realistic, basically all of them ever made Um, (laughs) to some degree or other. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you two here that are especially egregious, though. Um, okay. The Sandra Bullock's Academy Award-winning turn in The Blind Side. Um, <laughs> she might be great in that movie, but this movie is dog shit at football. Um, let's start off with the fact that, like, they portray Michael Orr as, like, this kid who, like, doesn't know how to play football. Bullshit. Like, he just, like... She just gives him a pep talk, and suddenly he's he's you know he's like the hottest offensive line commodity in the in the South. I right. highly doubt that. Um, so like like that in and of itself is just ridiculous. Michael Orr knew how to play football well before um, you know his his mother came into uh, his adopted mother came into her life his life. Um, mm-hmm. But specifically, there's a scene um, where they call a penalty on they call a penalty on Michael Orr's coach. I can't remember for what, like mouthing off to the referee about something. And Michael Orr gets back into the huddle and he, he's like, he tells his coach, don't worry, I got your back. He gets back into the huddle and he tells his quarterback to run a particular play. And he's like, all right, we'll run this play. And in this scene, Michael Orr blocks this asshole kid about 60 yards downfield. And it's just <laughs> like a weird, continuous, like Michael Orr's just pushing him. And the kid yeah. is, it looks like a fucking cartoon. The kid is just like, they don't fall down. Like he's just running backwards. Right. Michael Orr pushes him for like literally 60 yards. And by the way, the play doesn't even look like it comes to their side. So I'm not really sure <laughs> like what the point was, but like, then he like picks him up. He drives the kid all the way through to the back of the other end zone, throws him like over like the barrier and like, it's a penalty called on him. And no one is like really that amazed that this play happened. They just like call the penalty on him for unsportsmanlike conduct. Yeah. Okay. Number one, that is okay. The blind side in particular, what you're saying with Michael Orr not knowing how to play football, they really made him look like a fucking lug in that movie. (laughs) You just like, you know, Sandra Bullock all of a sudden, like, it's basically like this kid's adopted mother teaches him to play sports through a matter of a couple of speeches, you know, like the, the kids, uh, the kids have him, you know, like one kid is like on his shoulders and he's like running or doing blocking drills. This is what they make it look like, mm-hmm. you know, like the, this family like taught him football and stuff, which I, there's just no fucking way. Like even like a dude that big, like football is just like in their goddamn genes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he, there's he, just... he talks about, he played football before he ever met them. Like it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't like it's something he was completely foreign to. Right, 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 right. And the whole thing with this, like the play at the end, now I, I'm remembering certain like imagery from that. And like, I, I couldn't remember what the hell that that coach got the penalty called for and stuff, but it's just like, it's just way too over. Like, that's just like a series of over dramatizations in like the worst possible way right there. It's like, they're trying to, how do we make this guy look like a badass offensive lineman? Okay. So he's already the biggest dude on the field. He's already the strongest dude on the field. Uh, he already stands out, you know, he's like the, the poor kid with the adopted mother. What do we, okay. Let's just have him block somebody 50 yards down the field. That's what we got to do. Like, that's kind of like how I believe that that decision was reached. Just somebody pulled it yeah. out their ass. <laughs> it's, it's, it was, it, the decision was reached by people that have clearly never seen football before. 
Right. Exa- exactly. It's like we need to do something really dramatic. And I know he's a lineman, so he can't like catch the ball or run. what do we got to do? This is it's like I, I can't imagine like what they were going to do that they decided not to do and that this ended up in in the movie. So they could have. Um, I mean, Chema, you and I both played football. Why didn't they just have him pull around and fucking level someone? Right. Just a pulling guard type thing. Just clock like the biggest, baddest defender that they have and stuff, you know, make like a make some kind of like on screen visual rivalry between Michael Orr and like the, the stud defensive guy on the other side. Like and they could, you know, like the defensive guy gets a couple of plays and, you know, he maybe gets like a, a crucial sack and Michael's all let down, but he makes up for it by running with just a leveling block, like some, something like that. That's way more realistic. Yeah, exactly. It just it looks it looks so it looks so fucking bad. The football in this movie, just from like. I actually, I actually went and like YouTube that scene today because I, I, it stuck out of my head, and it's even worse than I remember. And like the other football is like it's, it's awful. <laughs> like it's they, yeah. Like there needs to be, in the same way that like a lot of a lot of shows, like like a, like a or like a lot of movies, like a war movie, will have someone who's like there as like the 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 weapons authority, the training authority, the uniform authority, like a war movie. Mm-hmm. How how do they not hire someone who used to play or coach football? to just watch and go like that doesn't make sense that does that looks like shit that doesn't make sense yeah you know i do not know and a lot of the freaking actors have bodyguards that used to be football players like that's how terry cruz made it into the industry mm-hmm. i would have thought like hey man you used to play like how does this look to you <laughs> you know just a simple question like that some kind of a little help with the choreography i guess the, the football yeah. action choreography would be totally totally needed in this situation how about you Okay, so the I, one I, that I, I do have another one, but because it's just it's something that really fucking bothers me. But I want to hear yours first. Okay, so um, I went with kind of like a, a stock answer on this one, and I got some problems with any given Sunday. Okay, mm-hmm. and like I believe, I kind of believe that any given Sunday is a better off the field movie than it yes. is an on the field movie. Yes, um, I will believe till the day I die that yeah, linebackers cut. Hummers and half with chainsaws at parties and <laughs> some dude just lets a crocodile loose in the, the, the shower. Like I believe all that stuff. Like they, the, and the, the whole thing with like the, the trainer being corrupt, James Woods, that fucking asshole. Like mm-hmm. there, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there that I believe actually goes on, but with the game itself, they just make it look like a fucking bloodbath. Like it almost seems like they just robbed all technique out of this movie. And oh, we're yeah. going for like big hits and stuff like that. And it presents like this, drastically unrealistic image of the game that can you imagine if you're like a kid and stuff like that and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go out and do this. And then like, you find out like you can't hit the way they do like in any given Sunday and stuff like, you know, I mean like basically what I'm saying is that a kid, it would be kind of disappointing. And then you actually have to learn like technique and stuff, <laughs> but it just, but, but it just like, um, it shows such an unrealistic side of the game. And like in a way, like, I just hope to God that people or I hope to God that people don't like view a movie like that. And they're like, okay, so like when all these dudes got like CTE and stuff like, you know, yes, CTE is like a result of playing the game and everything that they got those injuries, like playing football and stuff. But in the future, like you shouldn't be going for what any given Sunday is now with CTE being such a thing, people need to learn how to hit, learn how to hit the right way. The league is are, are doing, even though they did a shitty job of it in the Browns chiefs game, but they are getting like, you know, a little bit aware of like this kind of stuff on the field and doing their best to discourage it. 
And that's just all for the health and safety of the players and stuff like that. You know, like it's um, I, I just feel that any given Sunday is one of these kind of like definitive examples of like really making the sport as like appeal as or appear as barbaric as possible while taking out some of like the actual like fundamental and the real like technique parts of the game and stuff. Yeah, and that's that's the biggest problem with every single football movie. That's why, like I said, all of them are, mm-hmm. are fail fail football in some way, shape, or form. It's because yeah. they they glorify, and it, it makes it makes sense. Like if you just like watch, especially like if you watch like the all twenty two film, um, like the overhead that has everyone on the field. Um, it's like if you were to watch that footage, it football looks really unspectacular. Like it's, right. it looks yeah. really, really pedestrian unless there's like some like huge broken play or something. So like right. in, in, in the movies, it's like you get this like one-on-one scenario that just can't, like cannot happen in reality. Whether it's like the, whether it's like a, that, that like the, the blindside sort of scenario where the offensive tackle and the defensive end have this like kind of showdown. Like it just doesn't look like that. It can't look like that. There's someone next right. to you. There's someone else blitzing on the inside. There's other responsibilities that you have to like go through before you can have this like great like one-on-one matchup and that's just like that's just reality like it's you know so obviously you're going for hyper reality but like because i think because like most of america watches football and has some idea of what football looks like when it gets played that having these like weird individual moments where like the the running back manages to juke out seemingly 30 defenders on his mm-hmm. way to the end zone just doesn't play right because it's like, well, right, like he's gonna run into someone, right? Like it's it, it like someone's gonna bump him out of bounds. Someone's gonna hit him. Like eventually, someone's gonna stop him. Um, but you know, every I've, obviously there are some exceptions. Just like I'm just thinking about um, like the Marshawn Lynch run, the Beast Quake run, where literally yeah. nine guys touch him and he still runs for a touchdown. But that happens right. once every thirty years, where yeah. you get a play like that. So like, but in like these football movies, it happens every game someone jukes out eight guys somehow and still makes it to the end zone. Yeah. They're really underestimated. They're really like giving a low blow to defenders of football and stuff because defensive people, especially in like in today's NFL, like I can't, I'll be honest with you, dude. I, what I'm about to tell you, I cannot give you a lot of specific examples from football pre like 2002, like when I whenever I was in high school, but the game now people throw a lot around their bodies a lot more and stuff. So if there's a running back who somehow manages to juke his way out of three people, these are just defenders who are taking a playoff and stuff because in a, in like a real world scenario, you are going to have like, you're going to be, people are going to be throwing themselves at you. Like you're not going to be able to just, you know, spin move quick juke, go to the left. It's just not going to happen and stuff like the game, like defenses collapse on plays in ways that um, they never even get into in the right. Right. Exactly. Uh, Can I, can I give you my other one here that just, it's, it's a lot about this movie bothers me, but this last play bothers the fuck out of me. Oh, please do. It's from the program. Um, And it's, it's, it's the final football. It's like the final scene. Uh, yep. Where Eastern State University, by the way, Eastern State University, it's clearly supposed to. Be, first off, their schedule is bizarre. They play like Michigan, Minnesota, Georgia Tech, Mississippi State. Like, what fucking conference are they in? But um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, they're clearly supposed to be like a Southern school. Why the fuck are they named the Timberwolves? 
Yeah, that's a really good point. Just that, throwing that out there before I even get into the rest of this. But the final play of the movie, it's this like it's this mad dash, um, very very Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl kind of like scramble, uh, mm-hmm. where Joe Kane is running for his fucking life, and he's like he's like it jukes out this one defensive end. Again, this guy, like, makes moves on, like, five defensive linemen somehow. They all miss him, but no one is there to, like, back him up. Um, As he's about ready to throw downfield, he fumbles, picks the ball up, and then throws it downfield. Go ahead and YouTube this scene later, because he does not fumble. He just fucking throws the ball straight into the ground. Like, (laughs) it it looks like he's clocking the ball, like, to stop the clock. Um, He throws the ball straight into the fucking ground. Picks it back up, and then throws it downfield again for what again ended up being the game-winning touchdown. So like that's ridiculous. I mean, it, it's it's not even one of those that like you could miss. It's he throws mm-hmm. the ball, um, right? So that's that's wrong. Like they they couldn't have done another cut where like he actually does fumble. But anyway, um, <laughs> and so then that's one part of it. That apparently the route that Darnell Jefferson played by Omar Epps, apparently they have a they call a play that is a a halfback, uh, it's a running back fly route all the way to the end zone from like 60 yards out. Um, that's new. I, I didn't know we like ran running backs from the backfield on slants that or that on go routes that deep. Um, usually they're there for like a, you know, the last resort like 10 yards away. Um, right. So that was interesting. So the route was also just straight into the end zone and then just stand there and wave your hands while three guys are around you. Um, that was the route. It like... I'm like, so there's no moves to get him open. He just runs straight in the end zone and stands there. Doesn't seem like that play is going to have a high success rate, but of course it does. Right. Of course. Yeah. Like that. It sounds like one of these, okay. I'm going to try to put this as best I possibly can, but like, so in a, there's all these like reversals and stuff that happen in movies and everything. Like, so one of the, one of my favorite examples is from the most recent Star Trek, uh, like cast in the movies with Chris Pine and, um, and everybody. Mm-hmm. And it's from into darkness and Zachary Quinto as Spock is fighting Khan Benedict Cumberbatch on like one of these kind of like moving through town, kind of like, you know, like basically yeah. they're like fighting, fighting on the DeLorean, you know, just like a car moving through like air traffic or whatever. Yeah. And so what happens is, is like the first thing that happens is, okay. Um, Khan is on this, on this like ship. Then Spock ends up there. Okay. So Spock's there. Now he's going to fight Khan. They're both like, you know, equally matched, like physically or whatever. Maybe Khan's got the advantage, but Spock's got a phaser. Okay. So now he's, he's got the upper hand. Oh, guess what? The car that they're fighting on almost hits something, but he falls, drops the phaser. Then like he stands up, like that's when Khan comes in for So there's all these like, just like little reversals or whatever to kind of create drama in various action. And what you're describing right there sounds like somebody just threw in way too many fucking reversals as mm-hmm. if the guy dodging four defensive players wasn't enough. He has to fumble the ball too, for that little extra shot of drama and stuff. And that's when, that's when like, if that was any, like it could, it could be a fight. It could be football, but when there are too many reversals and stuff like that, that's when I become like, it almost looks like you're like watching like textbook writing, which Mm -hmm. at times, at times could be very, very frustrating. I can appreciate it a lot, but it could be very frustrating at times too. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. My guess is because like, there's, there's like a, there's like the announcer voiceover, 
in that final scene uh, where Kane fumbles. My guess is, like, they shot such a good scene, and he didn't mean to fumble. <laughs> and he mm-hmm. did it, you know, he did anyway, and they're just like, well, I'll just have the fucking voiceover say, oh, he fumbles. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> like, that's, that's my guess, because, like, it, it, you know, like, the again, they do, like, even though, like, the program is hyper-realistic in, in both off-the-field and on-the-field stuff, it's one of those things, like, it actually, it, it like, for, like, a few moments there, you're kind of like, for a few moments there watching that scene, you're kind of like, Oh, Joe Kane's got some moves, and I'm like, "All right, it's a movie. Like, it, yeah. like he's really not going to escape any of these people." But yeah, and that's like the whole like the escaping quarterback. Like every time that I've seen that, I got two examples that come to my mind off the top of my head, and it's in the end of Necessary Roughness. It takes forever for Scott Bakula to throw that final pass. Yes, it does. Stuff you know, yes, and he's like. He's going after like this is the Texas Colts and they have the 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 big like the big guy who's like the leader on the, the team and stuff mm-hmm. like that. He's a D lineman and like um the the Hawaiian offensive lineman like busts his face mask off at the last second and that is after dodging like four or five people already. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> and um and like so that is a long time and I think it's it's the same thing in Varsity Blues too. Like I mean even though they're just throwing a fucking pass to Billy Bob or whatever, it's like, wow man, Moxon's gonna dodge like seven dudes. Like what the hell? Like where why couldn't he just run it in if seven people are picking themselves off the ground behind, behind him? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think you know what and I think the particular in the the, the particular case of football, because it is such a team oriented sport, you don't really get that many like singular moments that look great on film it's not like Mm -hmm. filming someone hitting a home run right or you know making a catch like in a baseball movie or even like a hard dunk in a basketball movie like it just it doesn't especially when you're when you're especially when your subject is an offensive lineman or something like there's a lot of non-spectacular stuff happens on the offensive line oh yeah dude oh my god like when you're talking about the, the overhead view like i was just thinking like how many receiver routes are just like a couple like you know pat 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 on yep. the with the defense and then the plays over and basically plays over. like like you only get like that odell beckham like the one-handed catch i mean that's like a you know it's like a, like a generational catch mm-hmm. just in jet for anybody to make but the footage of that catch is like that is just like generational footage. You know yep. what I'm saying? Like, that's like Hollywood directors like, man, but we couldn't get that for the movie. Like what? The right. Fuck? You know, it, ex- so exactly. It's one of those catches. I, and I told, um, after the Cavs won the, the title in 2016, Jones and I did a, did a podcast about it. And I was just like the, the LeBron James block is going to be something that's good. That's going to be shown in, in NBA clip shows for the next hundred years. And, guarantee a basketball movie at some point in time is going to try to do their version of that. Oh yeah. It's going to be the movie that's made about LeBron like later on. Well, no, I mean like, like another (laughs) basketball movie is going to have that exact same moment in it. Oh, oh, totally dude. That's, that's one of those, like, that's one of those moments in sports that, I mean, not only for Cavs fans was absolutely fantastic, but that is just such a awesomely executed example of defense that I would not be surprised if, if even in that way back movie with Ben Affleck where he's the basketball coach, if they even do something like that, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it's already in movies. Right, exactly. It definitely could be. It would would not be shocking. Oh yeah, dude. And you, you, one thing you make a good point about the home runs and stuff, like 
it doesn't matter who the fuck you are. You hit a home run that looks sexy every goddamn mm-hmm. time, dude. <laughs> like it could be a uh, clue Haywood from the, uh, from the major league movies, this heavy set dude with a handlebar mustache yakking up tobacco and stuff. That is still a beautiful ass shot of somebody I, just like fucking knocking one out. Of the park. Right. I just saw just recently, I saw, um, I read this article on the longest recorded home run. Um, and oddly, oddly enough, it's one we have video of. Like, it's like it's it's rare to find like video of like old home runs. Um, mm-hmm. But it's and it's it's a minor league video too, which makes it even like crazier. Um, it's an estimated 582 foot home run, so almost 600 feet. And it was in the minor leagues in Denver uh, for like the Denver Zephyrs, who I think are now the New Orleans Baby Cake. Um, <laughs> Dude, I love minor league names. They're fucking fabulous. Oh, they're they're amazing, amazing. <laughs> but I know this, this guy who he's like a. I don't think he's like Hawaiian, but he's from Hawaii. You know what I mean? Like I, I think he's a yeah. white guy that's from Hawaii. Um, yeah. But this dude is a mountain. He's like he was back when he played. He was six three, about two sixty. Um, just like he looks like he's as wide as he is tall, but not fat. Like he definitely looks like he's just a big. But basically, looks like they took like a, a strong man and and gave him mm-hmm. a baseball bat. And he crushes this fucking home run. And even though you know, this is back in the '80s, so they didn't do like the you know they didn't do as much of the bat flipping and posing. Right. As soon as this guy connects, you can see on his face he looks right at the pitcher and kind of goes like. Oh. <laughs> I, I got that one and like he kind of just doesn't really stand but it's like a nice long lingering look before he begins running and it's like man even this big fucking hulking hulking man looks looks pimp hitting a home run that far yeah it just it's one of those things that can make me look fucking hot you know what i'm saying like exactly. that is just a that is just like that is just one of those kinds of moments that is so Number one, it's just like it's a, it's a very difficult to do. I mean, I I couldn't do it even if I spent every day of the rest of my life trying to do it, and um, it's just something that like, dude, it's it's that's just iconic, you know. Sorry, you uh, you blanked out a little bit there, but I I think we got the the essence of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's was been going on a couple times throughout the episode. It's just it's cut in and out. Um, yeah, no big deal. Bare, at a couple of times. So no okay, at least we're not getting any disconnected, and at least my microphone's on the right side of my head. Exactly. So. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into the entertainment section of uh, of the discussion here, and the sub uh, the topic is celebrities playing themselves, which we were kind of hinting to a little earlier in the discussion. So. Is there anything that you don't like about celebrities playing themselves on movies uh, and television shows? I so I I really don't mind the self cameo or even like the extended you know self in a movie or TV show or whatever, but like there's sort of like a middle ground that you have to hit where yep. for me at least where you're not where you're the version of yourself like rarely do you play yourself exactly as you are and or mm-hmm. you know or should you know these cameos rarely is someone very straightforward. Um, but sometimes that does happen and that's really fucking boring. So like right. <laughs> that can't be like the cameo can't be too small. Um, just thinking about um, Kanye West popping up in entourage. Like it's just Kanye West. Like he, where he gives him a, where he like lets him ride their plane to someplace. Yeah. He's going over to a uh, con, I think. Yes. Go to con. That's right. So like, but it's just like Kanye, like, yo, here's my plane. And it's like, right. So why is Kanye in this? If it's just going to be, here's Kanye and he's playing. Um, but like sometimes the character is like way too big. 
It's 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 a cartoon character, and it's yeah. distracting when you get someone when you get someone that when you get someone trying to play like that big of a personality. Um, it just it just gets kind of distracting, and like I I suppose Entourage is filled with maybe not maybe maybe cameos that aren't that big, but do sort of suck a little bit too much air out of the scene. Yeah, because there's it's not like you have. Okay, it's not like you have, like, let's just say, for example, like in 30 Rock. Okay, now 30 Rock did an abundance of cameos. Right. They were, however, like, I could be wrong on this, and I, I guarantee you I probably am to a certain degree. But, like, 30 Rock kept it to one person an episode, unless they were having, like, some stra- extravaganza type thing, you mm-hmm. know, like a sweeps week when multiple people get on the show. But, like, when James Carville was on the show, that is the cameo appearance for the day. Right. It's not just, like... Okay, hey guys, we're gonna go to uh, first. We're gonna go to In and Out Burger, and then we're gonna run into James Cameron, who just happens to be flying back from LAX at the same time the Entourage guys are. And then after In and Out Burger, we're gonna run to the, the we're gonna run to buy shoes, where we're gonna run into uh, Shaq and Kobe and uh, Young LeBron. Mm-hmm. They're all there. And then after the cameo place, we're gonna go out to dinner, where this is where we run into Harvey Weinstein pre scandal. <laughs> you know, so right. it, there's just one after the other after the other on episodes of Entourage, which which have a tendency of like sucking the life out of the episodes. And there are sometimes when they they do a cameo that um, that that I think works like really well, where it's just somebody and they, they pass up somebody and it's just a couple quick words, you know, like the, the, the pilot where they run into Wahlberg really quick. That's cool. He's just there. And then they go on for a while. Then there are certain cameos that um, Entourage does that. If you were to tell me on paper, I would say there's no fucking way that's going to work. And then when all of a sudden Eric Roberts is Hollywood's mushroom guy, I absolutely fucking mm-hmm. love that episode, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, it's definitely about, about how you, about how you do it and everything. And like one of the things that like really like it ticked me off and why I wanted to put this question on there, I'm over John fucking McEnroe making cameo appearances and stuff. And he, um, he recently was a narrator on a sh- on a Netflix show, um, the name of which is escaping me right now. But the um, it's a, basically about like a Indian family and the daughters in high school and everything, kind of like a little bit of like a teen drama or kind of dramedy comma. But John McEnroe is the narrator, and even with him only being the narrator, they somehow still managed to work in a couple lines where he's like super pissed off, you know. And it's like we're really doing this shit all this goddamn time. Like you couldn't find anybody else to be mad, angry guy to give a cameo to. It's just mm-hmm. John McEnroe pumping the same fucking well over and over and over again. And, and like his cameo and anger management is like, I mean, that's more than likely what you want to do is just have somebody say a couple lines and then walk out, especially mm-hmm. for a dude like McEnroe. But it is just the same fucking shit over and over and over again. And I, I, that's the stuff I like, I can't stand, you know, it's like you take something that somebody's known for and John McEnroe's known for freaking out and he still makes money. He's throwing rackets in television commercials and right. stuff pops up. He's got to yell. You can't be serious at someone throws a racket. Yeah, yep. ex- exactly. And it's like, we're doing this in movies and stuff too. And not only is it, it's like over and over and over again. Like I, Mac, John McEnroe was in Mr. Deeds. He was in freaking anger management. He had that little run there with the Sandler crew and stuff. And that's just an overabundance of other times. So like I, when celebrity 
when celebrity cameos, I guess like when the same concept is used over and over and over and over and over again, it's just, it's just too much. And like a 30 rock is, is definitely a victim of that too. I mean, some of their cameos, like, I guess with all of Tina Fey's stuff that you show up, you say a couple funny lines and say something really crazy as you walk away from the camera. Mm-hmm. And there was just like, man, there are just times where I'm like, man, are they, it's like, God, Jesus, they're all going to do the exact same thing. They're going to show up, say something funny, like something that's a little off character for them. And then they're just going to run away saying something really, really just like, uh, okay, like, I guess you needed to work that in there. So um, that's like my thing on this dude. I just like, I, I just kind of over that element of celebrities playing each other themselves yeah yeah no i got you and especially when it's when it is like that one trick pony and you know exactly why they're going to be there it's just sort of like it's like uh get ready for the eye roll here comes mcenroe he's gonna yell you can't be serious at someone right and dude the fact they even got him mad is a in a voiceover it's like they're really pumping that well you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like if you're he couldn't just be the narrator He's got to get mad once or twice, you know, just to remind us that John McEnroe is the narrator for some reason of the show. It's just, it's weird. It's just, it's, it's, I think it's weird and very, very unnecessary. They should, they should start throwing everyone for, for a real curve and just start putting Bjorn Borg in, uh, in cameos. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And isn't, isn't there like a new kind of like punky tennis player out there? They've been, they've been talking, they were talking about uh, this guy in Bull and Fox. Like there's some dude out there who's like, thinking yeah, that it's like he's sort a of brat, but it'd be like he's a brat but i can't god what the fuck is his name um he's i want to say he's like greek or something um okay i feel like he's greek or maybe he's like his name sounds like it's from like, he's like from the mediterranean basically um yeah um and he's just a brat it's it's different from mcenroe he's just a fucking he's just a millennial brat okay gotcha okay so this guy is well mcenroe is an actual you know ass you know stressed out yes. like avalanche of anger this guy's just a whiny millennial little bit exactly as most whiny millennials have a tendency exactly. of being exactly <laughs> no for sure um yeah so if um what is your uh, favorite example of a playing a celebrity playing themselves in movies tv well so here's i'm gonna my favorite example of this or, or do you want me to go back and because you, you skipped over Oh, sorry, sorry, dude. Yeah, go, go back, go back. All right. Sure. My bad. So, sorry about that. Because I wanted, I wanted to bring up Crashing here. Um, okay. And as something that I, I really, this is something that really gets to me, that it has really nothing to do with whether they're playing themselves as like an outsized character, caricature, excuse me, or like they're underplaying themselves. Something that really bugs me, and this happened in Crashing all the fucking time, is when you have in the same scene, multiple times in the show, you have a cameo and then someone else playing like what you'd think would be a cameo, but they're playing just a character. So in a scene, you'd have like a scene in Crashing, you'd have Pete, um, Pete Holmes playing Pete Holmes, by the way, um, a, a mm-hmm. caricature of himself. Um, then he'd like be in a scene with like Dan, uh, or is it Dan or Dave? Dan Naderman. And then like they'd go out of their way to like this is Dan Naderman, and like oh shit, it's Greer Barnes. And then like <clears throat> Jermaine Fowler comes into the scene, and, like and this is my friend Russ. And I'm like, <laughs> right? Why couldn't that be Jermaine Fowler? Right. Like, I don't, I, I don't understand like where like they picked and choose how they pick and choose the cameos in that show. It, it was like very logically inconsistent. You'd have like sometimes at, like a table, you have like three people who are themselves in addition to Pete Holmes, and then one person just playing a comedian. Yeah, 
no, I know exactly what you're talking about. It drove me up a wall. Really weird. It's really freaking weird. They were really like picky and choosy with who's going to play themselves. I mean, they even that that guy um, Jabuki something. The, uh, the, Jabuki the, Jabuki Collins Whiteside. Something that like that. He's a, I think he, I know it's one of those three name dudes. I, I, I'd have to say your guess is going to be better than any guess I throw out there. So I, I, let's go with that. J- Jabuki sure. Young White. Jabuki Young White. Y- Young White. Okay. So, dude, like even that guy who I had never heard of, like at all. Like I still rarely hear about this guy. He has his own name on crashing. Right. Like you couldn't make that dude. Like that dude couldn't be John. You know. Right. Like it's <laughs> right. <laughs> so. No, th- those things always confuse the hell out of me. Ent- Entourage is another like, example of that for mm-hmm. sure. It's, it's something that runs rampant over there in HBO. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that's like I-, I never really understood that. And like, if you're a comedian, for, for example, like what could like Sarah Silverman or sorry, what could like Sarah Silverman playing Anne bring to the screen that Sarah Silverman playing Sarah Silverman couldn't? You know, and I know that Sarah Silverman was herself in the show, but what what could like Jermaine Fowler, what could Russ bring to this table that Jermaine Fowler couldn't? You right. Know? Yeah, it's yeah, it's just one of those things that was very. And I, 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 my only my only guess is that maybe they, maybe they just didn't count on certain people being available for certain roles, and okay. like so like when you do get like a Greer Barnes or like a Rachel Feinstein, of course you're gonna let them be Greer Barnes and Rachel Feinstein. Right. Whereas if it, they didn't have them available, if it was, um, just pick any other actor or actress, they would just give them another name, right? Like, yeah. in, in the same way that, like, like I know who Aperna Nancharla is. Um, I think she's pretty funny. But, like, I don't think she's famous enough, famous enough to call her Aperna Nancharla in the show. No. Yeah, I gotcha, dude. Yeah, I understand. Like, it, it makes sense. Like, yeah, you're right. With some of, like, the, the non- big comedians maybe just the comedians that have comedy central specials or like a half hour netflix thing or mm-hmm. something but so, so those people that, that makes sense to all over the place like I, I wouldn't know who those people are you could tell me that's russ or somebody famous and i'd be like okay that's <laughs> russ or somebody famous <laughs> but like when um when you are like i mean it would just be so weird if like you know they're having one of those um whatever it is, uh, Caroline's or Zany's or the, the comedy seller table scenes mm-hmm. where, you know, all the, like all the, the, the older, like, you know, kind of like the, the, the richer somethings of the world, the, the dude who's on, uh, uh, your enthusiasm. I can't think of his last name at the top of my head, but, yeah, yeah. um, like all these like older guys on there, like these, these comedic faces that we've seen, like our entire life, you know, it's bald Jeff Ross and all these other people. And then like, you know, so like those the bigger names if there was like oh hey by the way jeff ross and then he's like yeah what do you think about that chip and all of a sudden it's emo phillips or something like that is chip it just doesn't make sense you know right yeah it's i guess yeah. i guess it, it crashing and with entourage it's it's because we're sort of expecting everyone to be themselves it it really sort of stands out when like in a scene like scott con and entourage is playing not scott con I'm like, right. Why isn't right. that? Why isn't that Scott Con? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like with, the one thing I will say with crashing, they they got Artie down. I believe as realistic as possible. Yeah, like, I, I think that, that portrayal is definitely um, that 
you would tell me that Artie's like that in real life, I'd be like, yep, I believe every single word of that. Mm-hmm. But with but with everybody else, like, you know, especially going back to like the Sarah Silverman example, like there's just no way like any of that. Sh- I, like Artie, I could actually see you just picking a comedian up off the street to like have him live with them for yes. a couple days, like to go get cigarettes or whatever. Artie, so Artie can right. stay in his house and do heroin or whatever. But like the idea of somebody like Sarah Silverman, like just, Hey Pete, by the way, like I laughed at a couple of your jokes. Like you want to come stay in my house in New York city for free, you know, like (laughs) just just come live with me and stuff. Like, like that, that's like, that's the thing that's just like, that's just like wrong, you know? And when, um, when I was saying earlier, like, you know, HBO kind of taking pride in some of the more realistic elements of the show, I even think crashing would be a lot better if that whole thing with Sarah Silverman, like, was not him living with her. Like they just met or the relationship developed a little bit. So maybe by episode three, instead of two, they're living together. Like just something right. like that, you know, right. make it a little bit more believable mm-hmm. and everything. And it's like with that, they, um, that's just like one of those times where it's like, each we've mentioned um, this before. I can't remember the exact terminology. It changes every time we bring it up, but it's like, there's just these certain shows where like HBO is pitching you like the actor fantasy, the, um, like the, the how to make it in America, mm-hmm. like the small businessman becoming rich fantasy. Mm-hmm. This one is like the stand-up comedy fantasy, and it's like, wow, you're you're like you're really hitting a lot of stuff here. He's barking at the Boston. He things are really difficult. Like he's not that good when he uh, when he starts. And oh yeah, by the way, this not that good version of Pete Holmes just met Sarah Silverman lived with her. It's like every other fucking comedian's dream come true, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, by the way, you're accidentally opening for John Mulaney. <laughs> yeah i know what? yeah like yeah i know like believe me like that kind of shit right there man maybe something like that happens in the most direst of circumstances where like the guy the opener got caught with drugs or something and they just need somebody but other than that john mulaney thing i think it was even more real unrealistic than the sarah silverman mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah but, but anyway. i do love the way they made john mulaney on that show that kind of cocky ass like uh not really not really approving of Pete Holmes, I think was a really good uh, mm-hmm. touch on that character oh, for, sure. for sure. Yeah. And that, that's like a really good example of like um, a little bit of elevation from, you know, maybe taking parts of the celebrity's personality, maybe like John Mulaney's got a, something buried in his past, like a stupid encounter at a store with a waitress or something, you know, where he's kind of got this, like he can be a dick sometimes, but we don't ever see it. And then when he actually is a dick, it just kind of plays better. Yeah, no, it's for, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So out of um, out of all these like celebrity cameos and stuff, who who is your like? What do you think is one of your favorite ones? You already hit on it. Eric Roberts and Entourage. Is, it's amazing. He is playing. It's so amazing. He's playing the perfect amount of over the top. Like it's mm-hmm. any more, it would have been a little stupid, and any less, it would have just been like uh, okay, whatever. Eric Roberts is in this episode. He is playing right. the perfect amount of crazy. There's like just enough of like there. There's even like I remember there's a scene where like they're in it's his camper that they go out in, right? It's yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. they're like there's even a scene like where they're talking in his, in, in his camper where I think it's Ian. I think it's just Ian Vince. They're like, like when did fucking Eric Roberts become like? They're just like yeah, like wait a second, this is fucking Eric Roberts. Are you fucking kidding me? Like sort of so like they're sort of like with you know they're like with us the audience like what the fuck is going on right now? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally, dude. Like, that's that's one of those things that's – it's so unsuspecting. Like, can you imagine, like, if it was Gronk as Hollywood's mushroom guy, 
I'd, I'd buy it. Yes, absolutely. I'd be like, okay, I'd be like, get Gronk's on mushrooms now. Mushrooms are cool. All the Republicans start doing mushrooms. But like with um with somebody like Eric Roberts, it's just it's such an unsuspecting thing because number one, I keep forgetting that Eric Roberts is around. <laughs> you know, like I just totally keep forgetting about him. You're not then you're not watching th- enough direct to video um, action movies. Because that's yeah, like that's, all he's in now, <laughs> right? I need to get up to date on a, on a couple of those things, like you know, Deadly Bus or whatever it is. <laughs> right. But but, um, but then he plays like this. He, then it's just like he's the mushroom guy, and then you also get and like believe me, I am such a stickler for substance abuse and stuff like that on film. Like I, I just there are certain times where like. I buy it. And then there are certain times where it outright pisses me off. And it's amazing how like in that one episode of Entourage, the person that I expected to buy it the least, which would have been Eric Roberts, I bought it the most. Mm-hmm. And it was like, and I'm like, oh, Jerry, Jeremy Piven's clearly the, um, I don't know what I'm doing on Mushrooms guy in this episode and stuff like that. You know, so it would, some of those performances were a little bit more believable than others. And the one that really mattered um, stuck out and counted where yep. it needed to count. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it the fact that like what ten years later now eleven years later, no yeah, even longer like than that, that maybe um, that like that performance still sticks out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's very very true. And like it's it's amazing because I sort of kind of default to that at times in conversation. Like if I'm if I'm referencing mushrooms or if I'm talking about like somebody and mushrooms, usually Eric Roberts is kind of like my go-to reference. I, I, mm-hmm. I that that's now becoming my mushroom reference, which it's great that I have a go-to mushroom reference and I highly <laughs> recommend everybody, everybody else out there get one. <laughs> so I think, but, um, I, I think Eric Roberts, and then I don't know if you consider this a cameo or not. The other one that I, I kind of do, it's the one that I would default to is Wayne Brady on Chappelle show. Yeah. That's as far as our generation goes, that could be like one of the top five, like most memorable cameos from anything ever. Like, yeah, that is just, that is just like fucking priceless right there, dude. And when, um, so Je- I, I, I'm sure I've told you if not, I, now I can talk about it. I, mean, I definitely yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm aware, but go ahead and tell everyone else that's listening. Yeah. yeah. So, so Jess was on make a deal. My, my, um, current partner, my future wife was on an episode of let's make a deal where she won um, $5,000, which is awesome. And she also met a guy who sold us um, our brand new television, which I'm still trying to get adjusted to a 65 inch LG TV in the middle of our living room. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Wayne Brady being the host of that show. And when I'm watching the clip, I'm just like waiting for him to say like, now thank Dave Chappelle. Thank <laughs> you. know, like, <laughs> stuff like that. Oh boy. Yeah. There. Like, yeah. No, that's, he just screams I'm Wayne Brady, bitch. Yep, yep. It's fucking awesome, dude. Give your damn sandwich, Dave. Like, Give all those sandwich, little Dave. lines like that. Like, I'll, that's the shit that really sold me on this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like him and being a pimp and all collecting money from people and mm-hmm. stuff. It's, it, it's amazing. It's, that is just, like, Chappelle's show is, um, that is like a gift to the world, and that is one of the greatest gifts that that show has ever given us. At times, at times, um, it wasn't like that when it first came out, but it kind of is like that now where I do appreciate that kind of stuff more than like I'm Rick James bitch. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I seem to be getting more fuck your couch. Charlie Murphy's nowadays than I'm Rick James bitch. So, <laughs> <laughs> so for, for me, um, I don't know if you saw this movie. Um, if you are going to watch this movie, you should only watch it for what I'm about to describe. And 
Keanu Reeves makes a cameo in this movie called Always Be My Maybe, yeah. which is like Ali Wong, Ali Wong and, um, yeah. Ra- Randall Cobb and everything. He's fucking awesome in this. And like, this is one of these, like he's clearly playing Keanu Reeves, but he's not playing like, you know, the mellow, like how I view Keanu. I mean, I could imagine hanging out with Keanu Reeves. The, him and I will probably say all 20 words to each other, you know? Realistically, he's not playing the real Keanu Reeves. Right, right. It's a, like, elevated, heightened, comedic take on Keanu mm-hmm. Reeves. And there are two scenes, and um, one of them is inside of a restaurant, and it's, like, a very hipster San Francisco restaurant. So they're, like, you know, going through, like, comedically emphasized hipster dishes, you know, like, here are radish, radish hearts with, uh, you know, a petite Syrah glaze or something like that, you know, a like really crazy hipster food terminology. And there's even a... um. I can't remember what they do. There's some kind of thing where they like, they're either listening to the animal they're about to eat or something. Cause they got like information about the animal they're about to eat. And they're listening to the animal like on headphones or something. And Keanu Reeves just gets really like emotional, like, Oh, thank you for your food and all this stuff. And he does like, I, what I think is a very, very good job for Keanu Reeves doing something that like wasn't John wick. And it was like, Oh my God, I forgot. He has, he has range when he wants to, you know, but at the same time, it is one of these deals where the only reason that that scene does work, it's because John wick is being, you know, the biggest hipster in the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's taken on such a, a whole new life for himself with these John wick movies and stuff. Like I, it's number, it has reignited my, Keanu Reeves fandom and stuff that was long dormant ever since the um, the third Matrix movie and stuff, or even the, the se- second Matrix movie, I should say. But uh, he is just like it's a whole other thing. And like that dude is like that dude's like a cool fucking guy now. You know, like I was like, man, like I never, I never thought that I would have such a high approval rating of Keanu Reeves as I do now. It's just the dude's a fucking stud. He's he's pretty fantastic. There, I guess like in in like a lot of celebrity circles um, or excuse me, I should say a lot of like the celebrity um, like news circles, like the entertainment news circles, mm-hmm. like the people from the various like news outlets and magazines call him St. Keanu. Really? Because he's just like the nicest guy to them. He's it's, it's got, he, I can't see that dude getting mad. Like I, I really cannot see him unless like with the exception, even when he's John Wick, he's not like, you know, raging F you F this F that he's more like a Keanu Reeves. that just happens to be really good at killing mm-hmm. people before they kill him. So like, right. it's a, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Dude. Like I saw this, like um, there's this photo on Instagram that kind of worked its way into my feed. And I've been following a lot more like uh, music sites, like showing you stuff about guitar and everything and like different, like playing techniques and everything. Mm-hmm. And so this one like photo comes in and it's Keanu Reeves holding a, um, a bass guitar, a custom made bass guitar that was in the pattern of the matrix. So like the guitar itself was just the green lines and the numbers and, and all the different mm-hmm. imagery and stuff. And he's holding this up and I'm just like, Number one, I forgot Connie or Keanu Reeves played bass and he was awesome in the band Dogstar, fucking one of the best bands ever. And um, but I'm just like, yeah, he plays a musical instrument, too. Is there anything this fucking guy can't do? It's like when I see Jason Momoa with a bass guitar, I'm just like, God, he even fucking does that well. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's very it's very easy to get jealous of someone like Keanu Reeves, who's like, you know, in one of the most like in one of the, like, the seminal movies of the 20th century, 
Um, also, it, you know, also does comedy really well. He was a model before he acted, and like mm-hmm. he plays bass. And like now that he's in his fifties, everyone loves him. Yeah, I know, man. Like it's one of these careers where I can't wait to see how this goes. I hope to God that at some point in time. He gets to work with Tarantino just because I want to know like what Keanu Reeves would sound like delivering Tarantino dialogue. Like I'm assuming it's it's going to be so awkward that it it can't not not work. You know what I'm saying? It's just going to be great. Right. (laughs) All right, dude. So we're going to round this off with the wild card category. And this is aliens on Earth. Now, believe me, there's really like aliens to us. If they can get to Earth probably not even why even waste their time with us right like this is something i've always kind of thought you know that such a intelligent life that's able to cross the galaxy is probably just going to skim right by us and be like wow they uh these people down there they believe jewish lasers control the weather so let's not even bother with that and they're just like but, our lasers that control the weather right <laughs> not the it's jewish really ones. our laser damn it <laughs> like give us credit where credit is due but let's just say for example that if aliens did ever land on earth i'm interested to know like what do you think they would look like so are you thinking that it's going to be like xenomorphic like the big kind of elongated head are we looking at like paul or et is it the the alien logo that we draw on skateboards and stuff like what do you think these people are going to look like or these alien beings will look yeah i do love that these are your default ideas of what aliens look like by the way just yeah (laughs) throwing that out there um which by the way xenomorph it just means strange form uh, oh, it mean. does? Yeah, just means strange form. Okay. But anyway. Okay, gotcha. Um, because they kind of all, most alien interpretations have long heads um, in some way, shape, or form. But anyway, um, I, if they're making an attempt to to come to our planet, I have to imagine that they're going to be humanoid. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, because, well, I'll, I'll get to that this part in a second. I have to imagine they'll be humanoid because... They have to. They would basically have to look at us and see us as something more than like just animals that live on this planet. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. if if we were flying, uh, you know, like if we were if we were flip the you know flip the script, we're traveling out to a different planet um, outside of our solar system. We have that capability, and we there's a planet we know that has life on it, and it's a bunch of like um, it's, it's like all sea life. It's like uh, some fish, some small fish and stuff, some. Um, you know, uh, like the horseshoe crabs, trilobite kind of things. Like, obviously we're going to go visit, but we're probably like not going to like make a big deal out of making our presence to these things known because it's unlikely that they have the intelligence to like see us as anything more than like another animal. So I would assume that we would, they would see something that they recognize and see us and go, well, we got to go talk to them because they look like us. So they, they, we would bear like some kind of resemblance to, uh, to whatever comes to visit us. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the real likely answer is it's probably going to be robots that come visit us. Um, okay. the same way last time I checked, there's no one on Mars, but there's like 30 robots up there. Um, right. that's probably what's going to happen first or probably just at all because the more than likely our planet is dangerous for them to be on and vice versa. Their planet's probably very dangerous for us to be on. Um, and it like, that's sort of like. I, I really thoroughly believe that people are going to Mars in the future, like in the near future. But like, as I've said before, one, it's, they're probably all going to die there. Um, mm-hmm. like that's probably the, the ending result of that mission is that they're all going to die there. Um, right. But also like they can't, 
it's not like it's not like as we are as, as things are currently we just can't stay there for long periods of time we'll die um that planet right. is going to kill us if we stay there for a long period of time so because we didn't evolve there i mean think about it this way we grew up you know our our species evolved on earth the human species evolved on earth can we go dive into the ocean without any assistance in breathing we cannot we cannot so there's even parts of our own planet that will kill us that's um, true. If we stand on them too long, so the real, more than likely, it'll be like a robotic in- interface or, or just signaling each other over satellites. Yeah, I gotcha. No, that point is very, very good with the whole. Realistically, that's how it's going to happen. It's going to be robots and like a, um, a scouting ship. You know what I'm saying? Probably something, a floating ball that lands and it opens with an eye. Some, some, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, that's definitely how it is going to be atmospheric wise, all that stuff. Like for all the, you know, for all, for our discussion's sake, for all we know that the minute that they even crack a window of their spaceship, it's just, it's bad. It's they just game explode. Over you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, like, I will, I will lend all the credit. I will tell you a personal thing where I can even tell the difference between the air in California and the air in Cleveland. Oh, so for sure. diff- so for like sure. the air, the air and oxygen quality between earth and, you know, alpha Proxima Centauri, wherever the hell they're coming from. Like it's, it's going to be astronomical, mm-hmm. <laughs> like w- without a doubt. And no joke, everybody out there, there is definitely a major difference between air quality in Los Angeles, air quality in Cleveland. There's even differences between air quality in Los Angeles where I live and freaking where Griffith Park is. So it's just, that's how big this freaking area is, but, uh, and how crazy environmental issues we have out here that have to be addressed. Um, hashtag climate change, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, you know, that's that's a really, really good point. And I I got into this whole um, question, line of questioning for two reasons. The first thing is, is um, Tom DeLong from Blink-182 tweeted out this week a photo, something like real photo. And there's some and it's supposedly like a picture of an alien, like a, another life form or whatever. Right. And I heard somewhere that like he is working with like the the, the, the government's equivalent of like the x-files or something like uh, that about... no he runs a, he runs a non-profit that searches for alien life and he does they okay. um just recently a lot all, all of the navy all the military intelligence but i think it's specifically navy um had to declassify like all their files on mm-hmm. on what they know about ufo encounters and yeah. um the the organization that tom DeLong like runs and funds and works with are like some of the recipients of this like information that they're like helping to go through and uh, okay. delineate and like like it, it's a legitimate organization like it, yeah. it's it's not like a it's not like Tom DeLonge just like oh fucking aliens dude um right like it's a legitimate organization but like his organization is like one of the one of the places that's helping to like um sort of comb through all the details and stuff and find things that's what I thought that's. That's right. That is right. I knew he had some, there's some kind of thing that he just got access to, you know? So um, this week he tweeted out a, a photo of that. It got my mind going and I'm not going to lie, dude, I've been kind of all wrapped up in some of this Mars Rover shit. <laughs> like I, I find myself like checking Twitter, like the Mars Rover's account just for like newer photos or a- any kind of thing I can get. And I, I want to ask you this just while it's on my mind. Did you see this video? So like, I guess there was a video that got released like a Mars with sound. Like that was like the, the yeah. it's like, Hey, here's Mars with sound. That's actually, that's like from the Rover, right? That's not yeah. like a fake ass video. Okay. No, it's from the Rover. I'm telling 
dude, I, I just have to ask this because I watched that video. If that video has been viewed two million times, I'm a thousand of those views easily. Like there is just something about it. It's another planet that I can hear stuff on and it's just the wind. But my God, it was just, I found it insanely captivating. I don't, it was just like this 30 second video that just was like, my God, dude, like I'm actually hearing what it's like on another planet, you know, and, um, and it's windy. That got my mind. Yeah. Very, very windy. Yes. Very windy. Very red. Um, apparently Albert Pujols hit a home run that ran, landed on Mars or something. They found a rock that looked like a baseball or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that, that had got my mind going with this, uh, for this last question. And <clears throat> I, um, I will say that, um, just to put my take on it is, um, well, I do agree with you. It's going to be robots. If, but what I think they are going to look like is something that you said, it's, it's very humanoid. Like I, I'm not seeing the queen alien. I'm not seeing the, the aliens from independence day, you know, with like the, the kind of like the big colossally almost like crown like domes. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not seeing that. I, I'm seeing something that looks sort of like us, at least like in the outline, however, their faces and everything that is entirely up for debate. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I'd kind of be a little disappointed if these humanoid aliens look like what is drawn on a skateboard, you know, like the alien logo on a skateboard. Yeah. Like the like, grays or the blues. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, the design that totally captivated the, uh, the mid nineties when alien heads were on everything you mm-hmm. saw in Spencer's gifts. Like, <laughs> I kind of be a little bit disappointed if it um if it was that I'm not gonna lie I kind of there's a little there's so much buildup and there's so many different examples to draw from in movies and stuff um that's uh I think that'd be a little underwhelming I'd almost think that the tentacles from Arrival that would be more entertaining to me like that would be more of like a wow moment well yeah for sure um it, it would be like the thing like the thing like with like when you like think about like the how aliens are represented in in entertainment it's like so like why would these aliens with like think about like the grays or the blues um the, the aliens that we always see like you said like the ones we used to see on skateboards every like every fucking spencers in the 90s um when you think about them why would these aliens who clearly have are coming from some place where there isn't much light otherwise why would their eyes take up two-thirds of their fucking head why would they come to a planet as bright as ours right it'd be blinding for them to be here yeah that's right and they address that exact same thing on the expanse where they use light torture for somebody which is yep. a fucking genius yep. oh my god I almost these, they use light torture and they use um gravity torture for people yeah yeah that's right yeah 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 just it's insanely good writing i i salivated at the mouth on that one that was yeah. some like i would never even think of that kind of shit so yeah um no that's a great point about the brightness and stuff like that like i and that's just once again just like another thing that i didn't think of which once again makes the expanse so goddamn great <laughs> all right dude so yeah so that um that wraps up the the first installment of uh this screen versus real world like idea that is basically still in the oven you know we got a little bit in there but it's it's in time we're going to evolve this and stuff like that to do other things maybe other categories maybe a whole episode on space alone or sports alone or something like that but uh thank you all for making it through uh this inaugural journey with us dude so did you have anything else uh nothing else we got to think of a good title for this though yeah that's the key let's Um, let's spend like let's spend some time here like the first thing i the first thought i had was like truth versus hollywood 
and mm-hmm. sounds great. That's definitely already the name of a different podcast. So we that's why it popped in my head so quickly. So like we definitely cannot use that, yeah. but like there's gotta be some play on that that we can go for. Like like Hollywood versus everybody or something like one of those t shirts, like uh, <laughs> the Midwest the Midwest verse insert adjective of group of people together. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, there, but there's gotta be like there's gotta be a good title for this. Let's let's spend here, let's do this. Let's pause the episode for a second, and then we'll okay. come back and tell you what uh, what we thought of. All right, we're back. Took us about thirty six hours, but we finally got a we finally got a title um, because Chem and I are real dumb. But uh, we're gonna, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna go. Uh, we're gonna start. We're gonna start calling these little uh, these sort of episodes. We're gonna start calling these facts in fiction. Facts in fiction. It's an absolutely genius name. It's now All Star Sunday, so yeah, it took us that long to uh, come up with it. Never. Yeah, uh, it was really amazing to see LeBron go for 120 points uh, in the yeah. All Star game. He was real pissed off that he even had to be there. Yeah, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ! Like, it, and nobody from the West. Like, I think Zion didn't even score. Maybe he had like a couple rebounds, and that, that was, was it. it. Like all LeBron. And also, yeah. QAnon was right. Donald Trump did get reinaugurated on Saturday. Yeah, I was that one. I'm not going to lie. That even surprised me. I was just like, God, I didn't think these guys would ever be right about anything. And then all of a sudden, yeah, there he is. He's, he's in, I can't believe he's in office. Yeah, we're going to have to do another uh, politics episode. I know, I know. <laughs> but anyway, from, from now on, we're going to be calling these episodes Facts in Fiction. I think that works pretty well. It makes perfect sense for what we're doing. So, I, yeah, there we go. Kind of proud of myself, I thought, of that one. I am very, very proud of you two, dude. That is a, like, honestly, it would have taken me, see, it took us like about a week or so to find out. I would have took about three weeks to get to that idea. You would have no idea how many uh, name combinations and rhymes. And once I could rhyme anything, I'd probably be like, okay, just now you got to find one word that means facts and fiction. Hit the dictionary, Adam, and then all of a sudden I (laughs) Dude, I've been, just, I've been falling into some really crazy wormholes and shit lately. Like, I, I'm so knowledgeable about Columbus, Ohio punk rock bands right now. I mean, it's just disgusting. <laughs> oh, that's about right, though. Yeah, it sounds about right, especially for me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, dude. So wrapping up the inaugural episode of Facts in Fiction, do you want to take us out of here? Yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, of course. Uh, streaming, downloading, uh, whatever you did to hear this. Um, thanks for dealing with our, our long delay to get the title. It's, uh, it's just, it just took a while, but I think it was worth it. Um, this was definitely a fun episode to do. Um, and it, like per the, sort of like this is sort of the, the continual theme with like our continuing episodes. Uh, first one's always a little rough. Um, yep. Then they get better, I promise. So yes. um, so yeah, for sure. The next time we do this, we'll have some things ironed out. It'll, it'll definitely be a little a little more robust. But this was definitely a lot of fun to sort of dip our toes into this sort of thing. Um, so for uh, Adam Chemielewski, this is Matt Pagel. Uh, thanks again, and we will see you next time. See you guys next time. Thank you.